Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality podcast. Uh, I am Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. Hello, everybody. And I meant to include in there that this is a Doof Media production. Thank you for, I don't know, noticing that. Jeez, I was <laughs> I felt so strong in that first sentence, and now we're I'm just so, I am brain so dead. We're so polished. We're so we're so professional. Well, I was gonna open up. I, I I was gonna open with this, then I thought I didn't need to, but now I do need to. That I am. This is like the most burnt out I've been starting a recording. It has been just a back to back crazy couple of days, and then I was just working up until like thirty minutes ago and was hammering together stuff for this and chugging down some food. So yeah, but, I wasn't like I wasn't feeling like super awesome for our last recording, which we'll call last week, but it was actually like three days ago. I yeah. think I've, I've now noticed a pattern like the more woozy I'm feeling when we record the crankier I am and the more I hate Harry <laughs> <laughs> we should start recording like I don't know right after like you know so t- get me some like like some Molly and yeah yeah, yeah we'll, just, we'll just we'll just yeah well I mean then you'll then you'll love it but yeah, yeah, yeah. no I think we just well, recorded like 11 a.m. on a Saturday after a cup of tea and you know fully energized and good mood massage yeah yeah, if anyone wants to help shill for a massage during recording, Brian will be less cranky. So yeah, that's that's not creepy at all. Yep, nothing to read into there. <laughs> but speaking of things we are going to read into, uh, that's going to be chapters thirty-nine and forty, pretending to be wise. You know, if I'd play along with that segue, it would have been pretty smooth. If I didn't get all meta about it right here. Yeah, too bad I just make nice them up though. on the spot. That was, that was nice though. We'll start writing down our segues. Mm-hmm. All right. So what happens in pretending to be wise, Brian? Um, I'd say like both these chapters were, it was like a lot to talk about, but not a lot actually like happens as far as plot. Um, So yeah, so Harry has been called to the, um, he gets summoned, he's in, uh, which in Charm's class with Flitwick, and he gets a a note from the teacher that he has to, that he's being summoned to Dumbledore's office. Um, And then really, I think like this chapter is basically Plot-wise, this chapter is called Harry Talks to Dumbledore in His Office. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah. And, but it's, and, it was really interesting. But yeah, this is one of those, like, it's funny how, like, sometimes the a whole bunch of stuff happened, but there's not a lot to say, and then, like, not a lot happened, but there's a lot to say this time. Yeah, and I, I did, before we even get into the exciting part of that, what I, there was the funny little <laughs> beat that I liked where, so he gets a note from Professor Flitwick, and it has, it includes a drawing of Professor Flitwick that, like, blinks at him. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I like that he wrote him this note and then he drew himself and then he enchanted the drawing just like and then he underlined like do not get in trouble <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> do not get in trouble I wonder what the like the line like how much magic can be involved in drawing a picture of yourself you still have to like draw it all or can you just like magic up a drawing I'm I mean, sure there's skill involved yeah well and Flitwick's a charms master he can probably didn't, he probably didn't need to pull out a quill but it's still just fun to think about he did he did do that on purpose which just makes I pic- me smile I picture Flitwick as just sort of like having that natural ability anyway like, that would be very Flitwick of him. Totally. To be like casually just good at drawing stuff. Yeah, so then he does his whatever rest of his day and that's, oh, no, that's actually kind of fun. Yeah, so he finishes his entire day and then when it goes to 9 oh, yeah. p.m., he drops back three hours and goes off to talk to the he headmaster. Apparently yeah. already tired, so. And then I didn't tell you, had to point this out to me because uh, I mistook it for how he's, how, um, the beginning of the chapters have like little out like altered quotes from other things um so these have like sprinkled throughout the the chapters are th- th- like this one starts with whistle tick boost ding glorp pop splat 
Um, I thought like that was at first. I'm like, is this like a quote from? Is there something? Are these specific noises from a thing? Oh yeah, is that the um, pre-chapter nonsense? Yeah, and I guess like, and I didn't like quite connect it. Like as Harry's walking uh, through Hogwarts to get to Dumbledore's office, he like walks through. I can't really can't remember what it's called, but he, uh, the room and the strange devices. I think that's just um, the headmaster's office. It's full of the. Yeah, no, things. I think yeah, I think you're right. But so I didn't get that because then because it. I then got further confused because it'll like throughout this chapter there'll be little uh, line breaks and we'll hear those noises again and I and I also as I was reading it I was getting confused because then I thought the line breaks were like in other uh, in previous chapters where they're used as like little mini chapters hmm. but really they were just sort of like a line break to indicate and by the way there's some more background noise happening with the weird little toys yeah and it's just a, I guess supposed to be. Um like a way to communicate like yeah. silence is happening I st- in the yeah. office I started I started like trying to like decipher like is there significance to which one of these noises being said it looks like oh and there's fewer of them each time does that mean something is this I'm like oh there's nothing it's just noises I'm looking forward to your notes on this too because I think you're you're getting uh, almost paranoid enough to start <laughs> start deciphering this which is exciting um, but yeah I think you know reading into that level of it yeah I think this is going to be a lot of fun uh, mm-hmm. so um yeah, it starts with, uh, you know, the headmaster, oh, yeah, wearing somber purple pajamas oh, yeah. rather than, you know, his usual, like, you know, pink or insane his, colors. His serious jammies. His serious jammies. I think it mentioned, too, that, like, when in Harry's first visit to the office, there was, like, a coat rack with, like, three left pink slippers on it or something. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing him wearing two left-footed pink slippers um, and yet still being serious and badass the whole time. Yeah, I think the Dumbledore-ish way to do that would be that he magicked himself two left feet to go with it. <laughs> like he just gets whatever feet go with the shoes. That sounds like a sounds like there's some <laughs> way to make money off of that. Walking, though. Yeah, there's there's got to be at least you know what? Then he would be able to say that joke. Hey, sorry, I'm a bad dancer. I have two left feet. Two feet. That, that yes. he'd, he'd probably he probably did it just for that joke. <laughs> All right. Well. So he so he gets into the office, and I think like the first thing Dumbledore's like, uh, so you talked to Luscious Malfoy, huh? Luscious. And uh, <laughs> am I never gonna let that die? No, it's too good. It's too good. Um, yeah, he, he asks him if he has his notes from his encounter. His notes from that. Yeah, I read from that. So yeah, he asked him from his notes, and Harry's like, oh, notes. I should be. Ta- oh, I should take notes. And um, and then he's like, fine, and tell me from memory. And so then Harry basically like Harry like stops for a second like oh should I be telling him everything and he says oh well oh shit okay I guess I will and what I thought I guess I am getting like more more Harry Potter paranoid in reading this because then my thought was I wonder if Dumbledore asked him about taking notes knowing that he would get all Harry Potter insecure about not being together enough Uh, and then that would like totally throw him off and then he would just be feel too scattered to be paranoid enough to lie to Dumbledore about what he talked about (laughs) somewhat um I love that. I, I didn't read it that way, but that strikes me as distinctly plausible. It's, it's plausible. I like that we're getting like stronger hints of like the levels of extra that goes on underneath Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, but we do we actually, and we get it now that I've said that we get it quite a bit towards the end of this chapter where, where Dumbledore, I, I um, believably to me, you know, says like, Harry, you don't understand me. Like there's more going on here than you're aware of. So, but we'll get to that part. Yeah, no, um, that's great, and I like I said, I, I think that's a fun reading. I, yeah. I just I, I I read it with Harry's like, oh man, I probably should have written that down because you're right, that was all cryptic and weird with this big scary guy. But your reading yeah. is is 
because you know Dumbledore is the one who put the idea out. It's not like Harry thought, "Oh, I wish I'd taken yeah. notes." Um, no, yeah, no, I think and Harry really did think that. But then, it, and I, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, if that's really what was going on. But I think it was like, "Oh, that would like Dumbledore could plausibly guess that that's the kind of thing that that Harry would feel all insecure that he's, you know, not being genius boy enough about." Um, so like, okay, first like throw him off, then he'll be too busy thinking about whether or not he's he's note inadequate. To, to think about whether or not he should be bullshitting about uh, about what happened with Malfoy. I think that's a great uh, thought, and I think that's, I actually, that's, and actually, now that I said it, because then it could be more like, okay, oh shit, I'm not a good enough, you know, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know that I should have been taking notes on it, so I'll prove how smart I am by by making sure I remember every single thing. I think that's my new headcanon. I think that I'm going to assume now that that's exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess what was running through my head, I was like, does it make is Dumbledore like that? Like, there's more going on with Dumbledore, but is he that kind of like? Because that's sort of like schemey Dumbledore. And I'm not sure if that's the hidden Dumbledore that we've got going on. But uh, we'll make a proper paranoid sure. paranoid person out of you yet. So, yes. all right. So yeah, he. It's not like I said until partway through where he's like, wait, should I be telling him everything? And then he yeah. just goes ahead and finishes it all true. Um, the, uh, yeah. I guess Dumbledore says, well, I suggest you make sure that the heir of Malfoy does not come to harm and I will do the same. Um, and that it would be extremely wise for you to avoid all interaction with Lord Malfoy henceforth. And then he asks about like, did you intercept owls from him? And he yeah. says, yeah, or he nods kind of reluctantly and Harry doesn't feel bad about that. He's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I guess. And that's sort of like, consistent. Harry's done this a few times where he's like sort of okay with like levels of, this could like spiral into that whole, Jedi Council of Elder Nerds, but conversation. But like he's been okay. Like there's certain levels of sort of like authoritative control that where he's sort of like his internal monologue is, oh, that makes sense. And so I'm on board with it. And this is sort of another example of that. But I thought I was kind of more, uh, what I thought was more interesting was uh, this. So Dumbledore's uh, response to it was. Yeah, there's just too much going. Dumbledore was, it was another one of these instances of sort of appropriate, like, you're a kid and this is too grown up for you to be need to, to deal with. Because Dumbledore talks about how he's like, yeah, you get basically fan mail all the time, fan owls um, from all over the world, and people are going to be asking you for shit. And uh, what did he say? Something like, you know, you're too young to have your heart broken six times before breakfast. And he's just trying to, like, shield Harry from the kind of mental load of having to deal with the publicity of being the boy who lived. And so he just sends back a bunch of owls. Um, and so I, I thought that was interesting. It was, again, sort of this, like, you know, I'm making a grown-up decision on, on your behalf, uh, which is interesting. That, like, for that one, Harry seemed to, like, be okay with it. Um, yeah. But then the other part, like, and then, but Dumbledore was very sort of transparent about it. He's like, yes, I do that. Um, and I, there was actually something else. There was some other point about it. Was that all? I think maybe that was all of it. Just that Dumbledore is like not trying to hide the fact that he that he is kind of like doing these controlling things. Yeah, it was the it was the two step thing where like he's like, yes, I returned your Lucius Malfoy letters. And he's like, all right, that kind of makes sense. And and he was like, all right, uh, you know, can you tell me who else you intercept my owls from? And he's like, I intercept basically everything that comes to you. Maybe actually everything. Yeah. We haven't seen Harry receive mail. And yeah, like you said, I liked that quote where it was, you know, you're you're too, you're too young, Harry, to have your heart broken six times before breakfast each morning, which makes you think that Albus does open up every letter he gets every yeah. morning, saying, "Can you please save my grandson or something?" And he's just like, ah, "Nope," but I I can feel bad about it for the rest of my life. And so Harry yeah. actually gets that wisdom, and he says, "Thanks," I, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, because and what is like, but I know for I received them too. He's like, well, you know, I'm Dumbledore, so I get these same kinds of things, and it's just too much to do. It's like a big headache, and you've got enough shit to worry about. Yeah, it's a nice little little beat. Um, I liked the. Uh, <laughs> um, it's it's almost like pandering. I, I, I'm not sure how to read into it. It's like the opposite of what Harry experienced over his Christmas break, right? So he's asked here by like the most wisest, oldest wizard on the planet. And he's like, I've asked you here to consult your unique genius. And he, said, <laughs> and he says, you know, transfiguration? No, not that unique genius. <laughs> what what evil could you accomplish if you allowed a Dementor under the grounds of Hogwarts? I like it was sort of like, it's sort of like half an element of Dumbledore kind of, condescending is kind of the wrong word for it, but sort of like, I don't, it's, so yes, Dumbledore thinks he's genius, but it's also like he's semi-gently commenting on sort of the arrogance of like how, how unironically Harry would hear it. Um, like there was just sort of an element of like, you don't really think, I didn't get the impression that Dumbledore is like fawningly in awe of Harry's genius, but also appreciates that like he really is like, even a, you know, the, the level between like actually being really smart and being some sort of grandiose vision of it. They sort of like saying it grandiosely while like legitimately believing in, in the value of Harry's opinion about these things. Yeah. It, so. it blocks that I think pretty finely, like yeah. you said, I think that he is, that Dumbledore is sincere in his, like, I want to consult yeah. your unique capabilities here, maybe, but he uses the word genius maybe to help kind of, like, you yeah. know, pander. But, yeah, yeah he, he, I get every impression that Dumbledore asked Harry this stuff because he actually thought he'd be an asset. Yeah, him. like, really, yeah. It's yeah. Not, he's not just doing this for effect. Like, he really wants to know what Harry thinks. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I thought the other thing I thought was interesting, especially because it's very this is the very nerd way for us to think about it, but the Dumbledore's basically asking for him to, like, pen test the idea of bringing a Dementor into... Oh, yeah, we didn't actually say it. So what Dumbledore is asking him is, like, okay, if we were going to bring a Dementor into Hogwarts, what kind of bad shit could happen? Uh, what evil could you accomplish if a Dementor were allowed onto the grounds of Hogwarts? Yeah. Um, so and I sort of, sort of, like, he's asking Harry to be, like, a white hat hacker. Like, I, okay, tell, if you were going to, like, try to exploit this, what would you do? I loved that you pointed out that, because I, I think I made that connection subconsciously, but when you mentioned pen testing, I was thinking of like physical penetration testing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole field kind of, of yeah. security where, I don't know how hard it is to get into this, but if anyone's curious, and this sounds like an amazing job, um, basically you can be hired by corporations at the higher level to say, hey, will you like uh, walk into my bank branch on you know whatever Main Street and yeah. you know show them this fake badge and... I used See to how work far with these guys. Yeah. Spider Labs. They're actually they're they're kind of douchebags. Oh, that's ho- hopefully none of them are listening. <laughs> they're very impressed with themselves. The only one that I know that I've I guess know that I've heard is uh, she she did a couple few interviews on a podcast called Hacking Humans, which is like these two old nerds talking about like cybersecurity. Um, but once in a while they'll talk with uh, this pen tester whose name I forget, um, and. Yeah, so she recounts how like she'll walk into a bank branch and she's got like a letter in her back pocket. Should she be discovered, that she gets to whip out and say, "Yep, yeah. here's the person who hired me." You call them. That proves that I'm supposed to be trying to break into your vault, but she's been left alone in the room, like with the vault and the combination written on the wall. So then she reports all that stuff back up. But basically, it just uh, confirms what everyone knows about like anybody with a with a vest and a clipboard can walk yeah. anywhere they want, right? Uh, there's a joke in 30 Rock where 
uh, Liz is dating a pilot and he's he's like oh yeah no you can walk anywhere wearing this suit I've, I've been upstairs in the White House and the Obamas are sleeping before <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you walk with confidence you act like you're supposed to be there and um, anyway I, so yeah, yes. I worked for the I worked for the company that uh, I guess Spider Labs is the name of the, the like the I worked for the company that bought the Spider Labs but so I worked on very extremely boring security auditing software uh, but those other guys would don't they would do the actual mostly use the software stuff but they would they would do like the physical pen test stuff too that's pretty cool but, yeah anyway but like so from our point of view they're terrible programmers they're just hackety hacks slapping together whatever kind of script they want like they they like discipline they lack discipline. <laughs> No, that's fair. Um, okay, and potentially, like one of them could be listening to this. So I'm just uh, not, but not you. I met the other guy. Obviously, the other guy. Clearly, the other guy. Not you, Jeff. Is he named Jeff? Did I get it? I can't even remember. I didn't like work directly with most of them. But, that, yeah. If it's Jeff, I get a cookie. Um, yeah. So basically, this is actually we can brainstorm this a bit too on our own. But yeah, to lay out the whole groundwork, uh, Professor Quirrell has demanded that a Dementor be brought so that students after learning the words and gestures the Patronus charm uh, be allowed to t- test themselves uh, casting it in front of an actual Dementor because you know uh, he's a big fan of realistic battle conditions and apparently according to Dumbledore it's not uncommon for someone to go from not a single flicker of light to a full corporeal Patronus when in the presence of an actual Dementor so yeah there was an issue uh, Harriet also said I the, the wording I found interesting, and I've lost the quote, but he says, because Dumbledore is saying, like, don't you think it's weird that he's, you know, wanting to bring a, you know, Dementor, and Harry's describing it as sort of like live fire, uh, but the phrase he uses is perfectly in character for uh, Quirrell to use, to, to want to do that, and I think Dumbledore even says, like, in, like comments on the on the phrasing, like, what do you mean in character? I thought that was a an interesting way to 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 phrase that it made me think like okay it at least made me think like okay people are pretending to be other than they are um that it seemed like a specific a, a specific use of a phrase yeah dumbledore calls him out on that too yeah and he's like in character and he's like well i mean it's entirely consistent with the way professor Quirrell usually asks yeah. and then he's like why had he put it that way and then Dumbledore yeah. kind of reads into that, and he's like, ah, so you have the same sense I do, that this is an excuse, a very reasonable excuse, to be sure. Um, so There have been a couple of times, this, and I think the end of the next chapter, where like something like a hint seemed to have been dropped a little too obviously, almost. So again, I guess I am getting extra paranoid now, because my, my read of that is, ah, here's a hint. This hint was made too obviously, so it must be that the hint itself is a hint. But, it's a meta distraction. I love it. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Dumbledore's suspicious because the defense professor. Not even he's not even saying Professor Quirrell now. He's just saying like, look, yeah. the defense professor, which we all know how bad that is, mm-hmm. asking to pass the darkest of all creatures through the gates of Hogwarts. I have to be suspicious. And then he describes the conditions under which it'll be guarded by three oars and in yeah. a titanium cage and uh, with Dumbledore and, next and Harry, like even like sort of like, oh yeah, and you'll do this other thing, like Harry questions him about a couple other things sort of sanity check it yeah what i liked about this too is harry was like i don't know if i could you know outsmart professor quirrell and um dumbledore said he's like what you want me to try and think of like extra security for this and he's like yes i try my best to anticipate my foes to encompass their wicked minds and predict their evil thoughts but i would never have imagined sharpening a hufflepuff's bones (laughs) into weapons 
was Harry ever going to live that down? <laughs> and he's like... And that also made me think when he said that, I'm like, it's not like that episode was like recorded. I guess he said it in front of the whole class, but I guess the, what I thought was funny about that, it was sort of a sign of like, you know, nothing gets past. Dumbledore knows all things. Um, even down to like, what little thing did Harry say during some class when Dumbledore wasn't even there? Yeah, somebody would have had to give him a full report yeah. of the day, I guess. Well, I guess it was on, it was all on Quirrell Vision, so... Oh yeah, maybe that yeah, transponds yeah, to yeah, Dumbledore's desk as well. He just has like a little yeah, iPad on his desk that pops up whenever Quirrell's teaching class. I mean, you'd think <laughs> after like 50 years of firing evil defense, po- defense professors, you'd have some extra security in the classroom, so... I guess it's, that makes sense. Know, it's, it's like remote learning. You don't even really have to go to the class. No, I, I just meant like you'd have some sort of, <laughs> some sort of spyware on it. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, oh, yeah, this was another funny line where I it, I wonder, like, this, this, I don't know if, if this, you tell me if you think this is him pandering Harry or not, but Harry says, Headmaster, if Professor Quirrell is up to something, I'm not sure I can outwit him. He's got a lot more experience than I do. The old wizard shook his head, somehow managing to appear very solemn despite his smile. You underestimate yourself. And that was the first <laughs> time anyone had ever said that to Harry. <laughs> That did that did stand out to me. I wasn't quite sure exactly what to make of it. I mean, I knew what to make of it, but um, yeah, I guess it wasn't like oh, because that sort of could be like just Dumbledore buttering him up some more. But I think it doesn't really need to at this point. But. Yeah, I think I, that's why I think it might have been genuine. He's like, look, maybe actually try and then tell me that it's too hard. Yeah. In fact, that's uh, that's advice Harry gave the Weasleys. He didn't seem to generalize that, like. Harry's giving up before even actually trying to think about it uh, five yeah. minutes, and Dumbledore's trying to encourage him, like, no, actually, like, try, and then tell me you can't do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because this is butting up against his weird blind spot around Quirrell, that he's got this fanboy idealization of Quirrell can do all things. Yeah, and um, I mean, he's not just a complete teacher's pet, but you're right, he basically mm-hmm. worships the guy. Yeah. Um, which isn't, I think I remarked before, isn't, like, necessarily derisive. You know, it's it's makes sense to be you know if you find somebody that is like you in all the ways that you like about yourself but better you're like oh my god i want to be like that yeah you know oh my god yeah let's let's uh be his sidekick or whatever Um, well i think i mean this is playing up like this is going to be significant that like this blind spot to not even so much but but this like like we're both simultaneously see this like super intimidating and impressive and dare i say attractive uh, Quirrell character, but I like, think we're also supposed to see that. So that very impressive and very the kind of personality that would cause people to have this kind of unrealistic adoration for. But then also see that Harry's adoration is unrealistic. So like Quirrell's like super scary uh, and impressive, but Harry has like taken that to the extreme and is basically you know regarding him as like infallible and omnipotent. Yeah, um, it's kind of like. If Quirrell wasn't so obviously, like, you know, a little bit dark and a whole lot Slytherin, like Harry put it, it's kind of like how people treat Dumbledore, you know? Um, there, there's no doubt the, that the Hogwarts is full of Dumbledore fanboys. Yeah. I guess some, I mean, I don't, this isn't a fully formed thought, but like the, the sort of, I get the impression, well, I definitely get the impression that uh, Quirrell would enjoy that attention more. Like Dumbledore would just sort of find it sort of, Amusing, a, a thing he sort of notices on the side and and doesn't attach much significance to. But I, th- I imagine Quirrell as being much more aware of how much he deserves that adoration, um, or at least being more at least being more aware of enjoying it. Which uh, we do clearly kind of see that sometimes that that he likes the the way he gets kind of admired. Yeah, Dumbledore toes the line between like 
knowing that he's super badass but also being like humble about it yeah and Quirrell is like the opposite of humble yeah yeah and that I think also appeals to Harry which is kind of fun so um yeah so basically I wonder if it's like, I wonder if it's almost like like Quirrell like dumb like Harry's grandiose arrogance if like Quirrell is the like his his aspiration like oh one day I will be as much of a sociopath as this man <laughs> like it's like the logical conclusion to you know because Harry's got these like misguided ideas of his like you know his destiny as savior of humanity um, that if this is like the like the end point to, to that on and so in some kind of unconscious way the thing he aspires to be is someday is like GQ and badass as Quirrell I think he wants the the badassness he's, he's pointed out that Quirrell is like too cynical and doesn't seem to like people which Harry yeah. does like people but um and I think, Harry, but like Harry's sort of like all confused and sort of like cons- like his thinking about Quirrell is sort of conspicuously the least organized of the of the, the things on his mind. Like it's it's got like the biggest you know internal inconsistencies. Like this very clear. Like this is the this is where the Harry's like least rational in a lowercase r sense of rational. Um, he's got all kinds of strange motivations, you know mixed together with how he's interacting with Coral. Yeah, I think that that's not unfair to say. I mean, like, for somebody like Hermione, like, the fact that Coral is, you know, not someone that you want to be like is just screamingly yeah. obvious. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I wonder if it's that, like, Coral plays to that, like, so Harry's got that, that like, weird, grandiose, you know, R, I am very smart thing. Um, and that if Coral, like, Coral's, like, playing, like, Harry's weird blind spots about it is because being like Quirrell appeals to that part of Harry so much that he then kind of overlooks everything else about it. That could be. Anyway, uh, Gilliam Warren, we'll... because I got, look, I made, I made some great friends on Discord today, he says ironically. Um, <laughs> but I was basically like told like, okay, Brian, you can trust that this whole arrogance thing from Harry is intentional and will come around and it's not just that the author's a douchebag, so shut up talking about mind reading Yudkowsky. So I'm I am trusting. I'm taking a trust fall into Yudkowsky's world, and just assuming that he knows Harry's a douchebag too. So, fair enough. I've been trying <laughs> to tell you that for a while. I don't. I didn't read the Discord exchange, but like I think that you know since the author they also get tired writes, that's what it sounds like. So. You what? <laughs> They're getting tired of my shit. <laughs> well, I think uh, like you know I mentioned before the author also wrote like Hermione and Professor McGonagall and. You know, characters that's that what I keep coming nice. back to like there's those yeah. there's those moments where clearly like okay like you couldn't write this and also like be totally buying into the you know arrogant douchebag thing yeah if the author was Harry just you know 30 yeah. years older there's no way he could write a character like Hermione yeah. and uh, and call himself out on his bullshit like people are calling Harry out on it the hat calls him out on it which basically is Harry's yeah. own ego telling him that um, but anyway, it, probably further evidence that I should be following Matt's advice to just stay away from the Discord because I think what it is is that sometimes there are people that are fully on board with the douchebaggery, um, and and so I'll get be like, oh no, it's okay, and that that take on it isn't consistent with how we're supposed to read it. Hmm. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, I for for my own advice is just like you know read it, have fun. If you can't do it while enjoying it, that'd probably be better for not just you know audio but also better for like your own enjoyment and then at the end if you're like you know you once you've consumed the whole thing and you're like this makes no fucking sense then like then you get to hate on it then like for example i'm reading uh king's or uh 
what's it called gunslinger right now mm-hmm. and i'm only a bit like chapter it? one yeah it's interesting like i can't really tell what's going on and i don't want to digress too much other than to say i'm confused in a way that would otherwise annoy me but i i've really taken to heart matt's advice about how to consume fiction which is like just assume the author's doing this on purpose yeah, yeah actually that, and, i think specifically matt saying that i've been thinking about a lot i think the one uh the, the thing i'm I'm still that I have not the idea I have not let go of though is that like knowing this about like the narrative intent like that I think that is a flaw in the writing that um, that I'm so not sure of it which could probably be greatly influenced by the by the fact that we're like reading it in little pieces and then totally over talking talking as we go along but I think like it I'd be a lot more um, you know, willing to go along for the ride if I had a better sense of, like, yeah, not only is he acting like a douchebag, but we are so, supposed to think that. And I think there has been some trouble. It's been too easy to believe that, like, well, no, he just, you know, like, that's okay. I think especially because this, like, this version of douchebaggery is very much, you know, it, I'm very familiar with it. It's, it's a thing we do and a thing that you often hear um, like justified you sometimes we've heard other readers justifying it um, so I think that's been part of the problem but I think like get now like getting on the board with that and because there are so many of these things where it's like okay clearly that's a sign that uh, that we're not supposed to you know just take this at face value um, again I like have to like remember those things at the, at the other moments where it seems like oh wait a minute are we supposed to think this is okay so I'm just on board and I'll, we'll, we'll stop talking about Yakowski <laughs> Sounds fun, unless it comes, but you know, if it, you know, I mean, that, we, like, we legit comes, back. we won't, uh, you know, yeah, and that's like, we, and I think another another thing we had said that it's like because this is not just a piece of fiction telling a story, but that it is also has the the element of it, it is also and the methods of rationality that makes it harder for the author to just sort of like extricate himself from the universe because there there is always an element. That, so yeah, Harry's not like a. You know, just an insert for Yudkowsky, but the, except for like when those moments when it becomes like, okay, we're we're now fairly transparently digressing into talking about a rationality thing, then he kind of like appropriately is an insert for the like he stops being his own voice and becomes a, a voice of the author, and so that so there's that part which I think is like a very legitimate use of that that then makes it harder though to be like, okay, let's stop like trying to make every single thing as uh, let's psychoanalyze the author. Um, that's where the, that's, that part gets that, confusing. That sounds good. Maybe yeah. maybe the Maybe the remedy to this, I should have thrown this out 30 chapters ago. Maybe the way to do this is like, maybe assume that Hermione is the author insert. <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the book's Harry Potter because that's the name of the series. Yeah. But like maybe Hermione is who Yudkowsky's inserted himself as and that's who he really was this whole time. But we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, we should get back so to... So before, let's get, yeah. let's get back to talking about the book. Yeah, so... Instead of talking about the book. So the, the defense professor of Hogwarts wants to bring a Dementor in and Harry wants to... Or, Professor uh, Dumbledore wants to consult Harry on, hey, look, I've seen you in here, you know, cold and controlled and staring down the head of House Slytherin and blackmailing your headmaster to protect his classmates. I believe that young man is more cunning than Professor Quirrell, more cunning than Lucius Malfoy, and he'll grow to be the equal of Voldemort himself. It is he who I wish to consult. He's basically saying, hey, you you know that mysterious dark side? I want to talk to that. Um, Which he doesn't come right out and say, which is not clear if he really knows what's going on in Harry's head regarding all that business, but uh, he's 
clearly trying to like get him like hey look i don't want to talk to like you like you are right now come in like come at this yeah. like you were all pissed a few months ago when you came in to protect your classmates yeah. or like in the first week of classes right yeah and then harry like specifically like to sort of psych himself up into that uh starts remembering i, I think that we get a quote for it Harry you know, just it's like he's playing a montage back in his own head quoting Snape says and that will be five points no let us make it an even ten points from Ravenclaw for back chat <laughs> and so like Harry's using the memory of Snape as the way to like get himself in the headspace of being a dark lord um, and then he starts thinking about the Dementor what, uh, going back real quick though what, uh, what it made me wonder uh, when we were talking about um, hey the defense against uh, Dumbledore saying you know the defense against the dark arts teacher is asking me to bring a Dementor onto campus um, that it may be because then the, you know the incorrect but unconscious thought you have originally have is like don't they know what the deal is with dark arts professors so I'm like okay they don't this is like he's the first Quirrell is the first in our Harry Potter universe so it made me wonder like okay what is our imagined backstory for because I guess we've already established that there's sort of this curse of the defense against the dark arts teachers. So, like, so that made me wonder, like, what is the back? Like, what have the previous? What has happened to the previous defense against the dark arts teachers? And is there a history of like maybe you should maybe not so trusting of the teacher? Like, not only does he does bad shit happen to him and he goes away, but you know, often he's not a good. You don't want him being the defense against the dark arts teacher. Yeah, they they've insinuated a, that this has been a like a common trope in Hogwarts for fifty yeah. years. And they, they gave a couple examples. I think when Harry was like about to mention something about Quirrell to Professor McGonagall and she interrupts him and she's like, look, after last year when the professor was caught in the, you know, the broom closet with uh, three fifth year Slytherins and the, <laughs> and the year before that where everyone failed all their tests so terribly, like, don't you try and come in here and, and spook me about the remarkably talented Professor Quirrell. Yeah. So... This is just like a thing. Everyone knows. In fact, even when Harry had that whole conversation with Dumbledore and Quirrell, when uh, Dumbledore breaks in after Harry's uh, like gets beat up in his class, and he's like, "Okay, if you choose this man as your mentor, one way or another, you're gonna lose him." And he like that's because it's like, yeah. "Look, this is the defense professor. He's doomed." And in fact, even Harry's Christmas wish, whether or not that was his actual wish, I I I think it might have been, but um, and that's in fact, I think it, I think it was, but. It, that was what? A point of contention, apparently. People are offended uh, that I thought Harry was full of shit. Uh, yeah. I I think you were skeptical, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Like, I think part of the fun of this is, like, you know, if, if someone's talking to somebody else, it's fair, like, I think it's a fair and fun way to read this of, like, all right, what, what are they trying to convince the other person? Not just, like, they're not saying necessarily what's true. Like, mm -hmm. that's that's part of the fun of... And there's a lot of Slytherin-y business going on. He was talking to Draco Malfoy. I think he was being sincere, but it's I think a, a perfectly reasonable read that he was just saying something to, to Malfoy. Oh yeah, right? I totally think, actually from for me I was where my head went was, oh I guess the fact that it's so shocking that this bit of insincerity is, you know, is getting a reaction of oh I can't believe you thought that that like that's significant in and of itself. Oh then that actually must have been. You know, that must be important that this particular, because there have been plenty of other times where Harry has said, you know, insincere shit for kind of manipulative reasons. Um, and this, you know, this one on its face wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be much different than the other times. I'm like, oh, there's some, the fact that this one is shocking means something. Uh, without spoiling anything, because I don't think it does, <laughs> like, I don't think we ever get confirmation of his first wish was. So that's why I think it was that. Yeah. Um, like, 
and if we do get confirmation and I've forgotten, then that just happens. But like, I, but it's, like I said, I think it's, it's a fairly reasonable read to wonder like, okay, is he trying to manipulate Draco or is he just being, you know, real? Mm -hmm. Because so often at the time around Draco, he's not being real. He's, he's still playing the game of trying to, you know, plant the seeds of love and kindness in his heart through manipulation. So, uh, anyway, we'll move past that, uh, and get back to our regularly scheduled chapter, (laughs) which is, um, so we talked a bit about it. It's the, the security measures brought in and, you know, basically he's asking Harry to pen test the, what could you possibly accomplish here? Mm -hmm. Um, Dumbledore mentions that he'll be the one standing next to the, to the Dementor all day while everyone comes before it, and then he'll cast his, his Patronus every time the kid either succeeds or fails. And uh, it's, it's, not uh, it's such a weird vision of what this would be like. Like, is it should, like okay, the Dementor's still in the cage, and like you know, I, I sort of got this strange vision of like okay, we're purposely gonna like let kids go stand in front of the firing squad, but don't worry, they're wearing bulletproof armor. Okay, now shoot the kid. <laughs> it was a very weird vision of what this is all like. Almost, you know, like there's this high caliber, like the like the Dementor is this high calibered wep- weapon, and they're just gonna like intentionally have the kids standing right in front of it. Right, and then the fact that the defense professor, irrespective of whether, like, you know, I, I get the feeling that if this was like Professor Lockhart, Dumbledore would be just mm-hmm. as as skeptical and concerned. He's like, all right, yeah. we got another fucking defense professor. It doesn't matter if they're all charming and nice or if they're all you know Slytherin and whatever. Um, you know, the defense professor is asking me to do something dangerous. Of course, I have to be extra careful about it. <laughs> Nothing so, bad think, could happen from this. Yeah. So then Harry goes all dark and he says, oh, obvious, the Dementor is a distraction. Yeah. It's a large salient threat, but in the end, it's straightforward and easy to defend against. So while you're focused on that, the real plot will be happening elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, the other, but before we got to that, the other interesting thought thing I thought about was because Harry asked, because Dumbledore says he's going to be the one there. He's going to be like the primary defense holding up a... Patronus and Harry says, "Well, why just you?" And Dumbledore says that, "Well, because the other the Aurors couldn't handle like that repeated exposure to a Dementor over and over again." So it's this sort of like little, you know, acknowledgement of just you know that this is the most powerful wizard in the world, um, and he's the one that can handle you know repeatedly being exposed to a Dementor. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Like to run to your analogy, it's like why? Why are you be, going to be the one tanking every bullet that we shoot at these kids? Because <laughs> I can take it more than I'm, the other three could if they rotate it out. Yeah, because I'm the tank. That's right. Um, so, like, so that's that's what. It, so I guess Dumbledore just he he thinks about what Harry says and then he nods. He's like, okay, yeah, I think that makes sense. Thanks for your help. But I was wondering if you had any other thoughts about what what this could be a plot for, um, mm-hmm. if you were to put on your. Uh, your paranoia hat and uh just if if you, if you were trying to do something evil by bringing mm-hmm. a Dementor onto campus what could you do maybe i should have primed you with this before we recorded uh, i don't i mean so if they get into their whole like introspective bloody blah but i don't actually um i mean it's, it sort of leads into the, in his whole you know please explain to me evil and voldemort and all of the things but I don't remember a big takeaway from the like oh and this is the why <clears throat> like the Dementor is a distraction um, but it, isn't it it's sort of left hanging as to the like and this is why the distraction would be there isn't it or? yeah it doesn't like Dumbledore doesn't come out so yeah. what he says is Dumbledore replies and he says yes I do believe that I know what the distraction might be from if Professor Quirrell means ill thank you and that's all they get like he oh, that's say, a, yeah. so, so Dumbledore yeah. knows 
Um, or he, he at least has a guess. Like, yeah. So that's, that is a bit of knowledge or at least an idea that we know Dumbledore has, but that we don't get to see. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I also, like, again, if I put on my Mad-Eye Moody cap and I think not paranoid enough, I'm wondering, like, all right, is it that obvious? Like, it's in a cage, which apparently it can't move through. It's surrounded by Dumbledore and Aura, so it can all cast Patronuses. Um, so, like, it can't just, like, run forward and kiss, you know, Dumbledore and kill him or something, because Dumbledore could stop it. So, like, yeah. it's just a scary monster. Um, but at the end of the day, it's nothing extra, extra dangerous. I think I... I can't really think of right off the top of my head because I didn't really think of the question before I asked you like what extra evil could I accomplish if I was trying to do this like it seems like it's well, yeah. about as secure as possible well yeah and that's what Harry saying like okay that's not going to be the thing um, like, yeah. there's nothing there's nothing about this that you need to worry about so what is it useful as a distraction for and then I guess my brain goes to well it's still got to have something to do with that initial sneaky thing into Hogwarts Otherwise, it's not really that big a deal. Yeah, um, but they're not sneaking it in. They're walking it to the front door, aren't they? Yeah, but like something, yeah. like maybe like is something else sneaking in? That seems a little too obvious. But it's got something to like. It seems like it's significant that it's something about okay, you know, Dumbledore is going to stand there and you know unlock the door for a thing, and maybe it's not that Dementor, but like something about the kind of security being let down in that moment is what you're trying to distract things from. Hmm. I guess we'll keep our eyes yeah, peeled. Yeah, if only you knew. I, like I, <laughs> I, I, I'm asking the question from from this position as well. Like, if I was planning something evil, what would I be doing? And I couldn't think of anything. Um, yeah. So I was just curious if you could. But again, I should have given us more than a minute to think about it. So this is where then they transition, and then we get our first line break of you know more office noises. But he asks, he says, uh, Dumbledore does that is, I have another question for that young man. It is something I have long wondered to myself, yet been, un yet been unable to comprehend. Why? There was a tinge of pain in his voice. Why would anyone deliberately make himself a monster? Why do evil for the sake of evil? Why Voldemort? And then there's, like I said, the line break and the pause, and Harry's like, how would I know? Am I supposed to have magical understand the Dark Lord because I'm the hero or something? And Dumbledore's like, yes! I understood my dark foe, my great foe, Grindelwald, because he was my dark mirror, the man I could so easily have become. So yes, you're his. You're Voldemort's destined foe. You should be able to understand him. Would you please tell me why he did, why he is? He says even Grindelwald didn't like commit atrocities just for the sake of horror. Yeah, what he says, uh, the man I could so easily have been had I given into the temptation to believe that I was a good person. Um, I guess, and that just sort of remind the whatever this turns into with Quirrell. Um, that that like the source of that you know willingness to go fully evil is that that sort of self-righteous belief in the righteousness of your cause um and that yeah that's, that's a good point like, yeah i was thinking just from the background knowledge we have from uh dumbledore's relationship with grindelwald that like you know they and they had that they mentioned that in the last chapter about you know for the greater good that was grindelwald's yeah. uh slogan and that was that was Dumbledore's for a while too you know yeah. while they while they worked together and they did well yeah that's that's kind of a negative thing but uh you know yes it's for the greater good we can do that um in fact it's this sort of bullshit rationalization Harry was giving himself earlier on in the book when he was you for, know yeah for Neville and yeah and so Dumbledore I guess is kind of you know it's it's kind of sad and that's that's why I get like the, there's some actual hurt here from Dumbledore because it's like 
if I had believed myself to be a good person. And it's like, you've got to believe you're a good person, Dumbledore. Come on. You've done so much. You've done, you know, you've, you've given your life to stopping bad people. Like, you're not a bad person, but he's, he's clearly well, yeah, but that's like the That's the difference between like, oh, I'm trying and I think, you know, I'm trying to not be a bad person as a goal versus I am a good person as a justification. Like, it's in general not very helpful to pat yourself on the back for what a good person you're being. No, but it, it seems like he, even Dumbledore after doing all this good, it's more just me trying to like imagine what would make Dumbledore say that. I think it's good character building for him. Yeah. Like he's he's done all this, but he's still like, no, nah, I'm not a great person. And it's like I I don't know. I feel like everyone else disagrees with you, but, yeah. but. or I think he saw, or I, I guess that he's and because he calls that like the temptation. Um, the temptation to believe that I was a good person like he sees that as like a like the problem that Grindelwald had and kind of acknowledging that, that you know that it's a temptation that um, that it's you know easy to fall into you know justifying all of your own actions as being for the greater good yeah well anyway Harry's first guess was you know too many dark rituals maybe in the beginning he thought he'd just do one and sacrifice part of his good side and then it was a positive feedback cycle because, you know, it made him less reluctant to perform more dark rituals until he ended up as a tremendously powerful monster. And yeah, and I almost, I almost read that as Harry just going, fucking, I don't know, what's the usual story? Uh, he just tried, you know, first he did a little, but the little wouldn't do it. Like, you know, he's, he's kind of like, I don't know, what's the, like, the hit parade of normal excuses for turning evil? Exactly. Yeah, he, like, he doesn't really believe it when he's saying it. He's consulting, like, his, his trope knowledge of fantasy yeah, novels, exactly. and he's like... I don't know, like, yeah, you do a dark know, ritual, uh, sacrifice uh, part of your love story? or something. Um, yeah. Jilted lover. Um. And yet, like, you know, I, I, I'm i sure in the comics we get great backstory for Joker, or many, probably many great backstories, but, like, my favorite version of him is the one from Dark Knight. Like, he's he, 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 he makes up his story over and over, because it doesn't matter, he's just mm -hmm. a force of evil and chaos. And I think that's what Dumbledore is kind of pointing out here. He's like, no, I can't believe it's just, you know, that he was once a nice, fine, you know, or an okay person, and he just made himself bad. No, there's something more to it. And I know, that as long as we're totally digressing into that world, the most awesome one I ever heard is that uh, Joker is actually Batman from the future. Who After he's gone crazy. Ac yeah, accidentally traveled back in time to the moment that his parents were killed and realizes that he is the person that killed his own parents. Nice. But then then does it out of a sense of like well but if I don't then I never become Batman and all the things that I fixed are never good so kills his own parents and then the, that drives him insane and he turns into the Joker that sounds fun that's cool that's cool cool theory not mine <laughs> well I can dig it I'm sure I'm sure it's out there somewhere in, in one yeah, version or I'm another but Dumbledore is just or yes yeah, so Dumbledore is pleading for like more justification than that and Harry's, Harry has this line about you know why should there be more to it than that because, uh, but he doesn't say that out loud because he doesn't want to, you know, disappoint Dumbledore. And he, Dumbledore thinks that the universe was a story that had a plot, and that tragedies weren't allowed to happen except for equally large, significant reasons. And he says, "I'm sorry, Headmaster. The Dark Lord doesn't seem like much of a dark mirror to me. Not at all. There isn't anything I find even the tiniest bit tempting about nailing the skins of Yermy Wibble's family to a newsroom wall." <laughs> that whole thing is kind of interesting. Like, we're still like not sure what you know, what is Dumbledore basically, because like this seems true and it's like this idea of Dumbledore as having this like overly involved idea of universe as story, um, like seems true, but also like, it, at least to me, like it feels like it's true that there, but also there is a lot more going on to Dumbledore than we're being 
um, shown. And so like it's sort of a, an interesting, confusing mix of, okay, what, what really is going on under the surface here with Dumbledore? Like, I it's hope clear, we find out. Yeah, clearly a lot more than we are seeing, but not at all clear what it is. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to figure out what's going on there. You pulled out the next quote, so then Dumbledore kind of pushes back again. He's like, have you no wisdom to share? And then he pulled out the next line about evil happens. Yeah, and I don't even think, he didn't even say this out loud. It was just sort of like his own, it was again, his, kind of his like, uh, fucking I don't know, and his own thoughts to himself as he's saying it. It's just like one italicized paragraph. He says, evil happens, thought Harry. It doesn't mean anything or teaches anything except to not be evil. The Dark Lord was probably just a selfish bastard who didn't care who he hurt or an idiot who made stupidly avoidable mistakes that snowballed. There is no destiny behind the ills of this world. If Hitler had been allowed into architecture school like he wanted, the whole history of Europe would have been different. If we lived in the sort of universe where horrible things were only allowed to happen for good reasons, they just wouldn't happen in the first place. Um, yeah, I thought it was sort of like the, the banality of evil speech, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, and yeah, and again, like it's like dense in terms of like what's going on, like what does all this mean, but still sort of interestingly um, vague about like what does this mean? What does this mean about about what Dumbledore thinks? What does this mean about what Dumbledore really actually thinks under there? And and what would how would Dumbledore take? Cause, and Harry didn't say this out loud, but I mean, what he did say out loud was basically you know consistent with that with that thought. Like how is what is Dumbledore's reaction to uh, to this take from Harry? Which and we sort of get on the surface a reaction from Dumbledore going, oh, I can't, you know, being sort of um, kind of romantically naive, you know, about justice and the destiny of blah blah blah. Um, but at least for me, I didn't read this as like there's like that's not really what's going on. There's more going on underneath. Um, like Dumbledore is not giving a, a fully honest re response to all of that. And not like and not like scheming dishonest, but just that like he's not fully revealing everything that's going on. To giving an, an honest or or not fully honest response to, to what? Because to Harry, like because because I mean, and this like this is like more because then I mean we go into like talking about life and death and um, that Dumbledore is giving these these kind of very traditional um, responses of you know basically life is a mystery and um, life is finite and evil, you know, justice will triumph over evil, um, and they're kind of very, like, cliched responses, and I think that's actually even a word that Harry uses talking about it, um, but at least for me, I, I felt like there was more, like, that wasn't a fully, not that he was being, like, disingenuous, but that there was a, that there was a layer we are not seeing about uh, Dumbledore's responses to what Harry says. That it, it made it seem like I, I guess it was, I'm more keying off of like the way when when Dumbledore would say like you don't you you don't agree with me about about my reaction to these things but you also don't understand everything about me um, that made me feel like there's like there's I mean he's saying explicitly like there's more going on here but it made me feel like like the uh, the superficial interpretation of Dumbledore just you know uh, he just thinks in cliches about justice and life and death. Um, that that's not there's more going on nice okay yeah I see what you're saying that's awesome and it is also worth just like contextualizing and remembering that Dumbledore is a hundred years older than Harry yeah right so it's it's probably fair to say that Harry's model of Dumbledore is incomplete and Dumbledore sees that and he's like look I think you you don't quite understand me and he's probably right in saying that <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. No, I like that a lot. I mean, so they go back and forth, and Harry kind of throws out, like, so he, he's just like, all right, well, Dumbledore doesn't want the truth, because the truth is like, well, evil just happens, so, um, you know, here's, let me think of, let me think of a cliche, and he's like, well, Headmaster, I'd rather not define myself by my enemies, and <laughs> then, then, then he's like, oh, that kind of came up more deeply wise than Harry had intended. I thought it was funny, because Harry, because Harry's talking about, like, oh, you can just say any kind of deep-sounding shit, and, and people will believe it, but it's almost like he, he kind of just did it to himself. Yeah, and what's fun is deeply wise is capitalizing those deep yeah. wisdom and like uh-huh. like Harry is like deliberately invoking like the trope or trademark or like yep I'm gonna quote Deepak Chopra at you, and like but he's just making up his own deep wisdom and he's like oh that mm-hmm. actually did work and then Harry or then uh, Dumbledore says you may be very wise Harry I do wish that I could have been defined by my friends, and now he's trying to find something nice that would soften the blow and. He's like, maybe that's just like a Gryffindor thing, and it's the friend that makes the Hufflepuff and the ambition that makes the Slytherin. I do know that it is always, in every generation, the puzzle that makes the scientist. And he says, "That's what's funny is like, even like, even when he's saying explicitly like that's what he's doing, you say something, like, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, puzzle makes the scientist." Yeah, I think. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think any of the things that he's saying here are un like that. Harry is generating from his deep wisdom generator are like untrue. That I don't think Harry doesn't yeah. believe these things. I think that he's just. But he's like, also just saying them because they sound deep. Like he's not. If it didn't come from it, that, didn't come from like this deeply held conviction. It was just like, oh, this, you know, this is some deep sounding shit. Let me say. Yeah, that exactly. Like, he would rather have spoken plainly, but he's like, all right, let me phrase this in deep speak. And <laughs> this is what I get. I got, like it's my own. I'm sure not at all an original thought, but original to me because I came up with it myself. Uh, that uh, that if you can say. He, he does it with fours. He like when talking about the four houses. Like if you can just structure a sentence with like symmetrical language, and like and he's got kind of a symmetry around four. Like if you can have something that's sort of logically balanced in your head, you can sort of sneak any kind of bullshit idea you want into it, um, because your brain likes the symmetry of the idea, and so you're kind of okay. You you'll accept that idea because it's got this kind of soothing balance to it regardless of the actual content like look before you leap um, he who hesitates is lost which are like opposite things but they um, they uh, appeal to a part of our brain that like oh that that feels like a true thing um, yeah that's that's kind of funny there is there is some truth to that in my limited understanding of that narrow subject like uh, people are more inclined to believe uh, things that rhyme yeah. Um, which is, you know, like the the famous example, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> um, like that that has a ring to it. We, we remember it decades later. It's from the planet Endor. <laughs> we we remember it decades later because it it resonates. Mm-hmm. But like it, it it's not a that's not a convincing argument. Like yeah. really, it's not a. I mean, it's not uh, it's it's weak evidence anyway, right? But it's like love it, it or leave it. Yeah, they also have, uh, you know, like, um, ads and stuff that rhyme do the same thing. But, yeah, so then Dumbledore is like, oh, you mean, like, you're a scientist? And then this part, I don't know what Dumbledore, this struck me as a non sequitur, and it's, like, the only part in this chapter where I'm actually, like, really annoyed with Dumbledore. Um, but the rest of him, I, I, at least under, I'm, I at least sympathize. But with this one, like, so he says, and you, Harry, you name yourself a scientist? And Harry says, you mean you don't like science? And he's, he had hoped that Dumbledore would have been fonder of muggle things. And Dumbledore says, I suppose it's useful to those without wands, but it seems like a strange thing to which, by which to define yourself. Is science as important as love, as kindness, as friendship? 
Is it science that makes you fond of Minerva McGonagall and makes you care for Hermione Granger? Will it be science to which you turn when you try to kindle warmth in Draco Malfoy's heart? So I got two thoughts on that. One, it's hilarious because that's exactly what he did turn to to kindle warmth in Draco's heart. <laughs> but two, that's a complete non sequitur. Like, Harry says, yes, I'm a scientist, just like Dumbledore might say, yes, I'm a Gryffindor. But Harry couldn't turn around and say, is it Gryffindor virtues that you'll, that make you fond of Professor McGonagall? No, obviously your, your, uh, your identity as a Gryffindor is complete bullshit and empty. Like, this seemed so yeah. unprompted from Dumbledore that... Well, I think, yeah, and I'm not clear, I'm, you know, I'm still not sure, and this is the one that doesn't fit very well, because it, it is... Like he basically is just speaking in motivational poster right there and it's just like whatever kind of easy cliche bullshit comes out but but I'm still like I'm not I this one's the hardest but it still seems like he's he doesn't entirely believe the entirety of the things he's saying um, but this one's so like painfully I don't know maybe it, I mean maybe it is that like it's so painfully bad that maybe he doesn't but if the, if he doesn't fully believe what he's saying with this one then it does seem that it would be like more transparently manipulative like not in a good way this is where maybe it makes me kind of think that like Dumbledore is playing third you know four dimensional chess because yeah. like this is just too uh like it's kind of yeah it's, it's stupid like, yeah, it, yeah it's I don't know, man. Just be more smart. Uh, pe- smart people don't say that. even if you like sort of believe a version of that, you wouldn't say uh, yeah. You would just like say it so you know baldly. Well, dumb. and it was such a non sequitur. Was my thing. Yeah. Like he, you know, if Harry had said yes, science is the thing by which I determine everything in my life, and then he could be like, well, what about like love? Like at least then it's not a. While I still think it's wrong, it's not a complete non sequitur. He just seemed to pull this out of nowhere. But that's yeah. why it makes me think like, all right, I'm confused by Dumbledore's action. Dumbledore might be doing something more than what I'm thinking yeah. of here. I can't think of what it could be, but like yeah, that's I'm totally. I mean, it sort of fits with the just like the general thrust of this was. It seems like this seems tied to what he says in a moment about like you don't you have misunderstood me, but I don't. Yeah, I don't get the why of how it's of how it's connected to that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not I'm not super confident about it either, but it just seems off that 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 Dumbledore would be saying something kind of so cliched and kind of hollow. Yeah. And Harry recognizes that too. And I like his little cleverly, he says, now how to, how to phrase the rejoinders that sounds wise. And he says, you're not a Ravenclaw. So it might not have occurred to you that to respect the truth and seek it all days of your life could also be an act of grace. And Dumbledore's eyebrows go up and then he's like, how did you become so wise? So young. And he sounded sad. And uh, he says, perhaps it'll be a valley prove valuable to you. And, Harry thinks to himself, only for impressing ancient wizards who are overly impressed with themselves. And uh, he's like, he said he's disappointed by Dumbledore's credulity um, mm-hmm. just because he, uh, you know, he's, he's just loving every little deep wisdom, uh, what do you call it, uh, motivational posterism mm-hmm. that he's throwing at him, right? So then he just like, all right, let me find the dumbest one I can think of. And he's like, love is more important than wisdom. <laughs> and headmaster's <laughs> like, indeed. And and then Harry's like, well, all right, I'd better go off and love something then. He's thinking this to himself, but he does stand up and get ready to leave. He says, well, I'd better go off and love something then. That's bound to help me defeat the Dark Lord. Next time, if you ask me for advice, I'll just give you a hug. <laughs> and that, like, and then after the, it gets, this I thought was, like, kind of a clunky way to, like, because a lot, much of this chapter is just sort of like, okay, we're going to talk these, these ideas. But then this is a clunky transition of, oh, and Harry, could you now give me your next speech? Um, cause like right after then he says, uh, 
Wait, how does he put it? It's, Tell me, Harry, why do dark wizards fear death so greatly? It's kind of, I mean, it's sort of, a, I mean, it kind of a little bit connects to that, like, the reason Voldemort was evil was because the things he did was to try to become immortal. But, like, this, it, this part was a little, a little clunky in that it just was like, okay, one speech about good versus evil is now going to uh, lead to the death is bad speech. Yeah, I can, the clunkiness, I guess it, it lands... I, I see what you're saying. It's almost as disjointed as half the other stuff that Dumbledore is doing here, which makes me just curious about yeah. what Dumbledore is trying to do. And I've never, it's only you who put me in this like paranoid state into reading into this because now I'm curious <laughs> if, if Dumbledore is playing you know three dimensional chess or if he's just yeah. being like actually kind of naive. But I think he's thinking, all right, well, hold on, while I've got you here, and I feel like I got a good answer out of you about you know Voldemort stuff. Like I'm curious about this too. Maybe you can help. What's with why do dark lords fear uh, mm-hmm. or dark wizards fear death and then Harry blows his mind by saying, uh, I got to bark back the dark wizards on that one. And, and then, then whoosh, then he, his chime, glorp, pop, bubble. Yeah. <laughs> and then Harry, he's just, he's done with deep at ease, and he's saying, look, death is bad. Very bad. Extremely bad. Being afraid of it is makes a great deal of sense. And it does not, in fact, indicate that you have a psychological problem. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is where they get to the death is bad, um, and I liked in the notes you just wrote deathisbadblog.com and then you changed it to <laughs> import deathisbadblog.com from philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> and from, your Python syntax was wrong. You're the Python programmer. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. From death is, I, I wasn't actually reading it. I was reading it from memory when I said it. So, <laughs> yeah, if I scroll up, I see your, your actual note there. Um, so that's yeah. See, I've known Enyosh for like years now, and so I knew about his his death is bad blog website but that, so this is i'm like oh this is where and i knew that like that was a thing um but i didn't i'm like oh and this is the origin story for death is bad i'm not sure if he got that from this or not i oh really i'll have to ask him we can I ask him on friday because um, i'm i get the impression just from talking with Inyash that this is a long-term held conviction of his Oh yeah, yeah, no, but I like the name seem like if it's not, he should act like that was because it's a good like tie-in. I mean, because yeah, like because the, the phrasing is so it's kind of like like that's death is bad is a a very kind of I mean it's a good it's a intention like the most super simplistic way you could put that. Yeah, I mean that said, I Which sort of doubt point, that this is yeah. the first time someone put those three words together. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so I don't know if if only there was some way to ask Inyash. Yeah, at least we can't right now. Um, <laughs> We'll find out. But that said, another reason that the blog is called deathisbadblog.com instead of deathisbad.com is because someone else already has deathisbad.com. So <laughs> Inyash wasn't the very first to, to think of making a website yeah, called that. <laughs> anyway, um, I like their their kind of... Uh, well, actually, there's, there's, there's a couple of things to draw about it even before if we want to dive into uh, whether or not we each think death is bad. But um, I know most, Im- most importantly is that the main thing that comes out of like their first thing back and forth is um, like, well, Harry's saying, you know, yes, I want to live forever because I love being alive. And Dumbledore stressing like, no, dark wizards don't love life. They fear death. They don't reach towards the sun's light, but flee from the coven- coming night. And uh, he's like, do you want to live forever, Harry? And he's like, yeah, and so do you. And he gives this like kind of tongue in che- or uh, not tongue in cheek, kind of tongue in cheek, like this overly simplistic um little is proof by induction 
Yes, today I want to live, or I want to live today. Tomorrow I want to live one day more. Therefore, I want to live forever. Proof by induction on the positive integers. Um, I don't feel like that's a very, like, and this is obviously Harry being kind of impatient too, but that's not a very fleshed out argument, but it's the most distilled version of it. He's like, yeah, like, I like being alive right now. I anticipate liking being alive tomorrow. And I don't anticipate that anticipation changing, so I want to live forever. Um, so I think, I'm like, do you not anticipate being miserably old? Well, so I mean, like my own... Uh, because I know where the argument goes from that. Yes, so then we should try to figure out how we never get miserably old. So. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's, I think that's implicit in this, right? Like, my, my, to put my, my cards on the table, I would like to live to be as old as I want. That's what I, that's what I say when people ask, whether that ends up being... Uh, 100 years or 100,000 years or 100 million years like I don't want to be forced to live forever you know if I should for whatever reason change my mind um, I, I especially if like things got terrible you know you could just imagine some hell or something right but uh, like I don't anticipate ever wanting to die what I but what I what would make me anticipate that is if my options like say if people live to be a thousand years old but they spent their last 900 years looking and living like Mr. House from Fallout New Vegas and <laughs> basically just lived in a pod um, and you couldn't move and you were just, you know, this frigid skeleton creature. Um, obviously, that's Nix, no life worth living. Nixon's so, head in the glass like, jar. You know, life at any cost isn't, isn't, the, isn't the goal here. The goal is like uh, quality life years, right? I want mm-hmm. to live in a healthy body or facsimile thereof for as long as I want. Um, if I could live in, if I could live in a thirty-year-old body for the next ten thousand years, that'd be dope. And I, I think, I, most people that I bump into, I don't, I don't. This conversation doesn't come up very often, but, um, I think when you put it to people that way, in my experience, they tend to find that somewhat appealing. I, think, I mean, this whole, I, I, I know when I'm being baited. Um, oh, that wasn't actually. Baited. <laughs> no, not you. No, no, no. no just, that that like couldn't the, have been more baity, I guess, if I had tried. But that wasn't. That was actually no, just no, me no, rambling. No, no, not you. <laughs> no, actually, no, because like, I, I guess what you've like you just said it's just very consistent with everything else I've heard with with the the whole death is bad ethos um, I guess which, yeah you know Enyosh yeah, so yeah. you probably asked him a blog, and, yeah, and blog that at some um, point yeah and I think I like probably googled something about it but like the the subject to me strikes it reminds me well just like mostly it's like is this a fight people have like it, it almost like it strikes me as a like oh you're looking for something to fight people about because this is a weird subject to I guess I'm more like, are people like insisting on death? Like this seems, what's the, straw man's the wrong word for it. Like, you know, invented enemy. Um, is this an argument people like legitimately have with like pro-death people? This, is there such a thing? There, there actually is. And back in, like, I think when you, you know, whenever people encounter novel ideas, especially when they're young and want to bicker with people like I used to be, um, like when this idea was novel to me, I remember arguing with people in college and they would come up with the dumbest things. They're like, "No, no, death is totally natural. No, no, we need uh, we need people in the ground because it's it's good for the environment. You know, it's good uh, like fertilizer for the earth." And I'm like, "That's the dumbest fucking argument I've ever heard." I, well, but I'm yeah. I'm not strawmanning when I say that. This person may have been a strawman, and I don't know how popular that belief is among like we can call them deathists. Um, if we're going to call people who want to live forever immortalists, but uh, I mean, first of all, we embalm people, which is terrible for the environment, and B there's so many better sources of fertilizer than dead people and 
that that just struck me as insane but it seems that they were doing exactly what dumbledore or what harry accuses dumbledore of doing which is no look you're just terrified of death and you're rationalizing i guess i mean so yeah uh, yeah it's just like my my i guess my i can't get myself to engage in the argument because the my immediate reaction is why is this an argument so like I don't at all disagree, but my main reaction is why is this winding you up? Like why is there like why is this a thing? And I, the thing I was going to say at first was it reminded me like in the '90s before it was as loud a subject, I started seeing the little Darwin fish bumper stickers, uh, which I thought was like super cute and funny. And then there's like the alien spaceship version and the flying spaghetti monster version, and then I saw the like the Jesus fish eating the Darwin fish thing. And I totally, like, I just thought like the whole thing was funny and it wasn't until like a little while later that I saw, I'm like, oh, this is something like people are getting like legit, like wound up and pissed off about. And now they're having like bumper sticker wars with each other. And I'm like, why, why, why is this a th- like chill? Why are no, you that's worried? fair. I think I, to, to explain where I'm coming from a little bit, it wound me up because I was remembering this conversation with this person and this was like eight years ago and I'm still just bewildered by it. Like, so, yeah, and that's the part that, like, I'm like, yeah, I've clear. I mean, some there are weirdos that think any random opinion because we have a large enough population that you can brute force anything. But like, I don't think it's it's not a recurring problem that we have too many people that are pro death. I would say probably ninety percent of the people just really don't much give a shit and they're just trying to carry on with their lives. But there's no like main political obstacle we're trying to overcome because of the people that want to make sure everybody dies on time. <laughs> I think, uh, like, be, it, when I when I put it in the nice soft way of saying, like, wouldn't it be nice to live to be 10,000 years old if you lived in a healthy body and you liked it, people are on board. But when it comes to things like, okay, cool, well, we've got this cool treatment uh, or this cool genetic modifier that we can do with CRISPR that should make people live to be 150, people will jump out of the woodwork, people who make decisions for, you know, boards of ethics for the government or something, and they'll say, no, no, this is, that's unnatural, we shouldn't interfere with it. And it's like, what do you mean we shouldn't interfere with it? Medicine's interfering with it. Like, I think that, and I, it's it's cool that, you know, I I, I don't run into a lot of, like, I again, if we're going to call them deathists versus immortalists or something, you know, just to make it a nice dichotomy. I, I don't have this conversation with enough people to know, like, what base rate numbers are. But it's not an uncommon thing, especially when you look at, like, the implications of it. Like, all right, cool. Well, I've got this cool I, idea for a grant proposal. Um, to increase the the length of the poly- polyamory or polymerase tail on uh, cells to make them last longer. The polyamorous um, tail. Uh, poly. <laughs> it's, it's the it's uh, <laughs> the what's the the a in uh the actually DNA I think I know what you're talking about is your your mouth stumbled and you said polyamorous I thought oh nice yeah um anyway the uh like th- these are things that that people aren't on board to get with like they're just fine with it and I, I think the reason that it gets me if i'm being i mean to get way personal very very briefly then we'll pull right back out of it um my i my grandma's like 87 and she's not in great uh health she i mean if she gets coronavirus i think it'll probably kill her um we've been close for my whole life and like her death's gonna fucking crush me and like the i i don't think that uh, people, I, I, I get where people like Dumbledore are coming from, 
where they say like, no, no, it's natural. We, you know, this is, this is how things work. And I, when people say that, if someone, if someone, when someone says that to me, when my grandma dies, I'm going to be pissed. And I'm going to be like, I don't care if it's fucking natural. There's nothing more natural in the world than cancer, but we still try to kill it. Like, why aren't we doing something to stop this problem? And so if, if there's an emotional component from me, that's where it's coming from. Um, in this, in this particular moment, because I've been thinking about that exact subject a bit this last couple of weeks, but, um, you know, like, but, it, but in the abstract, that is just still something I care about. I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can up the level of getting you to keep riding this train with me to crazyville. Um, <laughs> I am, I am signed up for cryonics. It's a, oh, well, the whole version will probably take us too long to get over. Let me just give you the, the rundown that there are, uh, a couple of services in the U S that will safely preserve your brain and or body, um, uh, or your brain plus or minus a body uh, in liquid nitrogen while making sure to preserve it in such a way that it doesn't destroy the structural integrity of your cells um, in the hope that uh, in the next few centuries technology comes around to restore the uh, the connection, the connectome of your brain. Um, I think a pessimistic estimate puts it at working at like 5%. An optimistic estimate probably puts you at like 25% chance of it working. But it costs... Uh, 10 bucks a month for a membership to the Cronix Institute. So that plus a modest life insurance policy gives me an 8% chance at living for some thousands or you know mil- millions of years. So that's the sort of thing I'm talking about when it comes to like doing something about death. Like, I guess, you know, if you want to buy me a subscription to immortality, then sure. <laughs> I, I, guess, I mean, and I get, you know, I mean, honestly, I haven't looked into it, into it terribly much but uh, I guess operating on the theory that if it were ter- if it were really really plausible and I don't buy into some kind of uh, death is conspiracy that it would that more people would know about it uh, but I, I because I guess mostly it's that I don't think it's very plausible and so not at all against it but it's also like not you know putting a lot of effort into you know it's it's it would be if I thought it was if I thought it was more plausible then I I would be sure so, so I'm not like for me I would not at all be against uh, against that or you know I guess it's more like the idea of living forever I'm on board with that the idea that there is a opposition to it I'm not as on board with it seems like it serves more a purpose of presenting you with a satisfying enemy to argue with than an actual thing um, but I it, it's more that. It, it's they at what cost like if what um and if it's not you know it's not much of a cost then sure but it, like how much of your life are you paying are you giving away to chase a thing that seems like it's pretty unlikely um it would be worth it but i mean it seems so and and it's probably totally for like it's probably like if it's 10 bucks a month that's not that big a deal i don't think it's for, at least for me it doesn't seem like it's likely enough that it's even worth that or it's more just like not worth the hassle I think it's like the, it's like the cost of like sixty uh, percent of my Netflix subscription, and the potential payout is living to be a million years old. Even if it's only one percent chance, if you do the math for like how much I enjoy Netflix versus uh, how much I enjoy being alive for a million years times point zero zero one, it still comes out to be a positive investment. I did hedge on this decision for years, but I I think we're on we're on close to the same page. We'll talk about chronics you know over risk if you want on Friday just for fun, but. <laughs> I, I, to me, it's an interesting subject, um, but I, guess I like do like your perspective that like I don't have a I don't have a dog in this fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and I I can totally dig that. Um, and it's it is interesting. I I will. I'm not very versed in 
in like whether or not there's an actual opposition to this or not um it'd be something fun to ask about maybe inyash who thinks who also thinks death is bad can help uh eliminate the subject <laughs> a bit uh when we get together this week i guess so. that's what i yeah what i'm not like i was never aware like what is the actual like who is the enemy here and do they really exist or are they just you know are they a boogeyman that's a good question so yeah i mean like i don't like there's nothing like that sentiment around death is bad like i'm on board sure nice yeah no i can totally dig it i think that's a good enough spot to leave that to table that discussion we'll uh we'll come back if there's anything else more fun to to unearth there next week we want more there's after these after regularly scheduled commercial break um (laughs) So, back to the show. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Cryonics. Cryonics. Yes. Do you ever want to live only, in a jar like the people in Futurama? Well, I sign imagine up here. it's only $10 a month? Uh, yeah, or 1000 bucks for a lifetime. So if you live to be like nine and a half years longer after your sign-up, you've made positive. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Uh, it's, do I it's, get free Cryonics if, if, if they're a sponsor? Oh, yeah, uh, we'll have to ask them. I, I wonder if they would throw us a bone or throw us a free okay, preservation. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that's cool. Um, oh, yeah, so the other main thing that comes out of this whole discussion, though, with Harry, thanks for indulging my digression there. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think, because the, you know, the what makes it less of a boogeyman is I have encountered this, because I did try to get my grandma to sign up for Cryonics. Mm. And she says something kind of like what Dumbledore said, which is like, no, I'm not, she, she didn't even go after life. She just said, you know, I think I'm, you know, I'll be ready when the time comes. There are people who do subscribe to that. And I think that the older you are, you know, then it's like, okay, you know what? I've been tired for 20 years. I'm done with this. Yeah. Like the idea of being tired for another hundred years is just exhausting. Fuck that. I'm out. I guess what um, I would like, if I was going to put myself in, in the headspace of somebody going through that. So if, and, and maybe this would be where I would differ from somebody like all gung ho about it. But if in your head, you regard it as an extreme unlikelihood as like, you know, Santa Claus level of, of possible, um, then you look at okay, well, what am I, um, what am I paying, in not not in literal paying, but you know, what are, what am I giving up in order to chase that? And if you're thinking, of, if you've already in your head like, okay, there is little to no, there's a negligible chance of this actually doing anything. So then, what does what does the remainder of my life look like if I do do that? It's not necessarily bad but you could it's not it's also not nutty to picture that then your life the your last days turn into this kind of frantic you know chasing of a false hope and that your last moments are uh in this you know weird like oh but this one's gonna work you know idea that in the back of your head you don't really think it's gonna work and that that like you're just kind of wanting to emotionally prepare yourself for you know going through all of that and saying goodbye to everybody and and blah 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 um but and that it would just be you know interfered with with this which what to you at least feels like this like not gonna work idea and like honestly like that's probably like close to the headspace i would be in on that because you know maybe i guess at least you know nice rationalist i'd be like it would be worth like i would go looking and be like okay is this what are the actual possibilities of the thing and then maybe like I'd be on board but it would but I would still at least for me be like balancing that out of like like I guess just like a risk reward kind of thing like like the and acknowledging like that's there's a real cost beyond just like ten dollars a month there's a like a an emotional cost to you know what are you making the end what are you making the end of your life like what are you making that like for the people that care about you and giving them this idea that like okay maybe this isn't really it and leaving them in a weird kind of limbo of like oh 
you know, Brian's going to be back in 100 years, so don't worry about it. Um, like, that, I mean, that's the whole trade-off you're going to make. And so then I guess it's just like how, how plausible is that scenario you're going for in your head? Yeah, and I, and I totally agree. Like, if this was the kind of thing to where, uh, you know, signing up and making the, say, 10% chance of a, of a shot at immortality work, if that was going to cripple your entire life, then, yeah, it would be hard to argue somebody to say, no, you should do it. You know, it doesn't matter if it yeah. ruins your life. You never get to um, drive a car that you feel safe in or, you know, send your daughter to school or something. Like, to, if, you're, if you're making tons of sacrifices for it, for, some, for, for a... I think it's I think it's much higher than Santa Claus, but like you know, well, far under a coin flip, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, like, but if you're if you're making a huge life sacrifice, then yeah, it's it's hard to make that sell. Like, no, no, trust me, it's worth it. Like that just sounds like any huckster yeah. trying to sell you snake oil, right? Um, I, I I can totally get behind that, but I do feel like you know if you're comfortably well off and you know, this isn't money you'll miss. It's probably worth a shot. But, yeah, at least, yeah, uh, for me, like what I think about, it, it's not, it wouldn't, uh, at least for me, the decision, and, it, and I guess like it would, like I would really, it being more than bizarrely unlikely would be relevant information for if it were a decision for me. Um, but I would, the thing I would be more weighing it against wouldn't be like, oh, is it going to be, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever it would be like, what does that, what does that decision mean for those last, months or year or whatever those last that last portion of my life how does that alter that and does it alter it in a way that i'm okay with and then a bigger one like how does it alter the people that i care about and how they like what kind of world like obligations or a like emotional sense of what you know am i gone or i'm like oh i'm in this sort of like maybe not really gone like what does that mean for everybody like that would be the balance like that kind of stuff would be a bigger factor for me than just like oh is it you know ten dollars a month thing or a thousand dollars down payment or no, I think that's really great. I think that's a really yeah. uh, valuable way of thinking yeah. about it and framing it. Weirdly, with that, um, but that whole conversation reminds me of something I think a lot about. I guess I've mostly put it in context of like the Patriot Act, of like and the Patriot Act and advertising, um, and how we like look at all the we discount those the thousand, uh, you know, tiny little fractional mental costs that we give up for a thing that's you know wildly unlikely like it's not that bit like i can be slightly insecure about halitosis um and but then at least you know if i worry about that then everybody will like me um that was poorly said but like the the bunch of little things that like advertising tries to make you worry about none no one of those little things seems like that big a deal and then hey now my teeth are white um and you don't really weigh like the 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 thousand tiny little costs of like the the load of all of that anxiety and insecurity kind of gets not counted against the like complete bullshit benefit that you're theoretically getting and i think like the bigger one i see is like oh it's like oh i've got to take my belt off and my shoes off before i get on the airplane like that's not that big a deal and it's making us all safe well it's actually not making fuck all for safe and <laughs> yeah like, we're, and what and the hidden like the hidden costs of like we now live in a world where everybody thinks it's like totally rational that we're taking our belts off before getting on an airplane and what is that what are all of the ancillary costs of that what what weird little what other things are very indirectly being affected by that and what kind of other you know slippery slope kinds of things um, does that move move the needle on um, 
that we don't think it's that big a cost for one little thing, but but it's a thousand other little unseen costs that kind of adding a weight to the general thing, and we don't kind of count them against that decision we're making. Yeah, that no, that's awesome. That, that's that sounds like a really fun thing to dive into and explore uh, off the air, at some, or maybe you know at least <laughs> not right now. So. No, no, I mean that because I do want to. I do want to talk about that at some point, but we do have a podcast to finish. So, mm-hmm. but I did. I did. I'm not. I'm not dismissing it because I didn't think that was really awesome and, and engaging, but almost because I thought it was too much, and I'm deliberately veering us back <laughs> on course. So, right. I will. I will segue us back into the story and say that all of this concern has come totally moot if you believe that there's an afterlife, which is what Dumbledore says. He says, "I'm not worried about dying because after I die, I'll go love and live. You know, I'll have my next great adventure." And he's like, "Oh, you believe in an afterlife? I didn't think I didn't think wizards had religion." Um, so that was the uh, that's the other way out of this riddle, I guess, right? Yeah. Like, if you believe that you're going somewhere when you die, then like, then there's no point in you know even worrying about where to calibrate these needles um, or you know do these do these met do the uh, do the math and the juggling to figure out what to do here. It's like, oh yeah, no, I'm gonna go you know uh, do something after I die. If you believe that, then you're like, then no biggie, right? Um, so this whole next discussion I really liked with Harry because, uh, it's like, and partly too, this is the voice acting from the audiobook. I know this is like the 10th time we said Inyash's name this uh, episode, <laughs> but when he's reading this long thing that I'll, I'll cut or I'll give a snippet of in a minute, um, he's, he's capturing like the combination of like, like angry, sad, um, or like, you know, tr- uh, like cry yelling really well, um, Anyway, so Harry, or the headmaster is like dumbfounded. He's like, Harry, how can you not believe in ghosts? Or how can you not believe in the afterlife? You've seen ghosts. You're a wizard. And Harry says, oh yeah, you know, ghosts, like those things like portraits. And and Dumbledore says, I've heard that theory. It's the dumbest thing I've heard in 110 years. And, you know, what about the veil or the resurrection stone? And um, it's, I think he pulled out in the notes that the, the theory of ghosts here hasn't been established to us yet. Um, yeah, or rather, I, I mean, I think we got like it was established, but not in any kind of way that Harry, like, to put it to a Harry standard, not enough to convince Harry. Like Harry has been told that as a thing, but like he hasn't. I guess what I thought is like he, Harry doesn't know enough about that ghost theory to decide whether or not he thinks it's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I guess we we never at least see him on screen do any independent research. The only thing that we do see is like. Professor Binns doesn't seem to acknowledge that anyone's in front of his class and he just he just goes up there like a tape recorder and then you know does the same lectures every day all day for apparently eternity um which isn't the kind of thing you would do if you were sentient uh so it's hard to say uh but yeah this is the sort of thing that I wish that we had had more screen time with Harry where he's like wait a minute ghosts let me go off to the library this is extremely important yeah. um yeah I remember thinking like said, oh, that, here. that would have been like him Harry Speed would have been like, okay, yeah, well, that's, and that's, I'll get back that's to what surprise we didn't get. <laughs> uh, like if, if ghosts were a thing, I, I think I would run straight to the library instead of having dinner that night. Right. Uh, but uh, so Harry says, all right, I'll hear your evidence. Cause that's what a scientist does. But first let me tell you a little story. And then he, yeah, it gets, uh, it's, it's a long thing and I'd love to just read the whole thing, but I won't, but he recounts when he first gets off the train, uh, in September on his first day and he sees a ghost, he kind of freaks out. He wasn't expecting ghosts. He was like, Oh my God, I can summon my, my, uh, my birth parents and tell them that I'd begun to call them my mother and father. 
And then I asked Hermione what she said, what they were. She said they were just after images burned into the castle, like the silhouettes left on the walls of Hiroshima. And I should have known because people weren't acting about my dead parents the way they would if I could just summon them with a spell, like with a phone call. And then he says, um, and it was then that I knew that my parents were really dead and gone forever and that there wasn't, wasn't anything left of them and that I'd never get a chance to meet them. And, and, and the other children thought I was crying because I was scared of ghosts. Oh, that, um, that's another good line. Yeah, I like that too. And it's a callback to briefly right before he gets sorted when... It says he was still trying to get himself under control from his encounter with the ghosts. This is back in chapter nine. And he says the sad thing, the really sad, the truly sad thing was that he did seem to be getting himself under control again. It seemed ill-fitting, like it should have taken at least a day, maybe a whole lifetime, maybe just never. Um, So like we didn't really get at the time and it doesn't jump out that much. Like the chapter moves fast and it's, it's just one, you know, kind of short paragraph, but it's like... His encounter with the ghosts, maybe we, we just kind of filled that, oh yeah, they spooked him because ghosts are from movies. But no, this is apparently what was going on in his head on his yeah. first day of classes. and Or his first day of school, not even classes, right? And uh, he, I anyway, that whole, the whole long um, two paragraphs there that Harry says when he's yelling, a Dumb- yelling yell, sad, sad yelling, there's got to be a word for it, <laughs> um, at Dumbledore, Bemoaning. that's all done... Re- Huh? Uh, bemoaning. That's not a great word for it either. Yes, it's at least <laughs> has more syllables. Um, <laughs> he uh, anyway, the voice actor does that really well. So um, oh, cool. he he demands that Dumbledore give him the evidence. Then you know, but don't exaggerate and give me false hope, or I won't trust you again. So let's um, say who did he say? He said I want to say if he said that to McGonagall. He said a, a similar thing I think to McGonagall and Diagon Alley. Or- there was kind of along the lines of I'll know that you're like another adult that's not to be trusted or oh yeah it's like a a recurring sentiment for him I forget the context of that exactly but yeah he does say something just like that Um, although I think this is coming from a slightly different place but yeah similar deal Uh, so anyway we we knew of the veil and the resurrection stone from canon right yeah that's what um, Sirius died of them unless, unless i know my canon wrong that that's what Sirius fell through when he died yeah and i remember how There's thematic and satisfying that back. felt too what i remember like when i was reading that as a kid how thematically unsatisfying it felt yeah well especially i guess because at least for me it felt like oh he was like you weren't ever there wasn't any like moment where you're like oh he really is dead I guess there was a, a while there where you felt like, oh no, he's going to come back for some reason. Like there's just going to be some kind of contrived thing from the plot that would bring him back. So it wasn't like, like a well done moment. Yeah, it was like I remember it was just be like, oh, I guess he really is going to stay dead. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, and I put myself in the mindset of assuming that everything is intentional, that was probably on purpose. Like we didn't believe it, we didn't want to accept it, and we were given yeah. a not very satisfying death for him, and that's exactly what Harry felt yeah. like too in the story. So. And I think, yeah, and actually now that I remember, I, I'm gonna, I think it's a little generous to say it was entirely on purpose, but I think it was like played into that eventually. That like we were kind of like Harry kind of went through those kind of similar feelings of like, oh, I guess it's never going to be different. Like, yeah, it's hard to see how it wasn't intentional. Now that I think about it, just because like. Uh, I think it's just like because just plot wise I mean I, I can't remember enough specifics around it but it just I think my my memory of it was that plot wise it seemed like there were too many kind of arbitrarily available possibilities for how he might come back 
don't know. It just that, didn't, yeah, it yeah, didn't feel I, like I can't stories. quite remember all the specifics. Yeah. I just know that like if he had been shot with an Avada Kedavra, there'd be none of this like, well, maybe we can have him back kind yeah. of thing. Uh, but we'd never seen anyone touch the veil before and didn't know that it killed yeah. you. So, or I think we knew that it killed you, but like we didn't know why, and it didn't seem very convincing. Yeah. And so Harry finds that the explanation of it is like, yeah, if you stand next to this like you know wavy thing in the Department of Mysteries. Side note: I love that the like wizarding uh, intelligence infrastructure has the naming convention like creativity of like astronomy of like yep this is where we keep our mysterious stuff we call it the department of mysteries <laughs> and uh i thought you were so talking yeah. about that they were, that he's just referred to it as the wavy thing exactly <laughs> yeah we call we call that the wavy thing we think we can hear dead people through it um but yeah like it apparently you like you can't talk with them you just hear like you know murmurs yeah. and so harry dismisses it and he's like yeah it doesn't even sound like an interesting fraud like someone built a stone archway and made a little mm-hmm. brick little black rippling surface that vanished anything it touched um. <laughs> what's sort of interesting, like, what's interesting for me, I don't think, yeah, with just that, like, Harry's reaction to this, it has a lot of the kind of, you know, raw emotional element of, like, just being pissed off with being given false hope, but it also has kind of, like, the immediate dismissiveness uh, that his father uh, referred to with magic. It was like, like, magic is unscientific. Um, that he just sort of like is immediately shooting down like explanations. I think we're like, we're given them in a, especially because the, the explanations around the veil are so like lame, like, Oh, you, you can't quite hear them. Like there's nothing that's like verifiable about it. Um, but it also does seem to be like, like immediate dismissiveness of the idea that at least, I don't know, for me, like it feels like it's coming from the same place. Uh, like where you've just already dismissed the idea and now you're just no. kind of working backwards from that. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Like he's he's he just doesn't want to hear it. Like yeah. like Dumbledore calls him out on it. He says, "I can tell you the truth, but if you refuse to hear it, and he's just like also not interesting because he's just yeah. he, he doesn't want. It's like he he's not even taking this seriously. Like he never asks like, wait, why do people think it's that it that it's the dead talking to you? Like he never asks that. Also, the uh, what I thought was interesting uh, was that word the way he uses when he calls it also not interesting. Like the the read from from the word is like. I don't know how significant this is, but it just feels like that word is loaded and does not mean what it literally claims to mean. Like when he says that's not interesting, he doesn't, he's not talking about this level of interesting. Like there's kind of some underlying meaning to that, which is just like, I don't want to hear that right now. Um, Yeah. No, I think you're totally right. uh, I think he's in like an extremely heightened emotional place. And so he's hearing like, oh yeah, sure. You got this thing. I'm not even interested enough to ask you clarifying questions about it because I think he's, He's terrified that he might be given hope about something yeah. that he desperately wants. And he's like, nope, can't have that. Not even going to go for I it. I guess, yeah. I guess what maybe like pinged it for me is that it's kind of a, a and now, I, now I'm stuck on the word interesting with it, but like it's a kind of a lie he's telling himself, like that he's, that the reason he doesn't want to hear about it is because it doesn't, you know, scratch his intellectual itch rather than it's a thing that's emotionally unpleasant for him to consider. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, like, it's kind of like an emotional lie. He like it's a, a an irrationally based lie that he's telling himself, um, and I think and maybe and because that word is so kind of like out of place in that in that context because he's like pissed off and wound up, and that word is kind of so dry and and academic um, that it kind of like sticks out as, as like not being the appropriate word. 
No, yeah, I, I like that. And I, I liked how you called it back to his father, dismissing this as like, nope, you know, clearly magic yeah. is bullshit. Um, like, the, it's he's doing the exact same thing. He's not, like, he's doing exactly what he accused his dad of failing to do. Yeah. He's like, no, actually look at it. Like, consider it. Ask clarifying questions. Learn all you can. He's like, no, I'm not even going to bother. He is clearly, like you said, just irrationally dismissing this from an emotional place. Yeah. And Dumbledore yeah, calls him out on it. But he, yeah. he's not even acknowledging that himself. Yeah. And what's fun, like, sort of, and kind of, like, tempting about it is like, his objections, especially because the the veil is given to, you know, portrayed in such a bullshit, you know, it's, it is so very, like, explainable as bullshit um, that, 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 like, the temptation to, like, go right along with him because the the conclusions that he's jumping to are kind of the conclusions anybody would jump to and probably, like, and at least for me, like, in the back of my head, like, oh, and, you know, that's probably true as well, like, it probably is bullshit. Um, so, but, but in a very unhairy way, he's like not looking at it at all. He's just sort of like deciding that he's just going to go along with his preconceptions on that because the alternatives are unpleasant. Yeah, totally. I think that if Harry was being like, if he hadn't just come down from the emotional like ride that he took himself on when he recounted the whole ghost thing and Mm -hmm. all this, he would have might have actually asked like wait hold on why do you why do people think it's the dead not some not some spell and Dumbledore could give him this really convincing explanation but he does he won't listen to it right um so yeah. then Dumbledore goes on to explain what the resurrection stone is which I think it's just like it was in canon where basically um it's one of the three deathly hallows which it says kin to Harry's cloak um resurrection stone could call back souls from the dead bring them back into the world of the living but not as they were and it has the same thing from that cool little... Did you see the seventh movie? Uh, yeah, just as recently. Uh, after we finished the book, my daughter... You remember like the movie. kind of like a, um, Nightmare Before Christmas style art of like the, oh, the 2D yeah, yeah. paper, yeah, paper cool. Mario looking... Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. So this was the same thing that uh, was recounted there with Cadmus Peveril calling back his, his beloved from the dead and yeah. her heart stayed with the dead and then he killed himself to be with her. Um, and then... <laughs> Harry, in all politeness, Harry raised his hand. <laughs> yes, said the headmaster reluctantly. He's like, well, the obvious thing is to, you know, do a test where you ask somebody, you know, uh, where the, where she lost her earrings or something. And fun fact, this is what um, uh, Houdini, Houdini. Had, his wife had a passphrase, and I'm sure somebody else has it now because they do an annual seance for him. Mm. And he is like, hey, I'm the greatest escape artist on the planet. If there's a way to get out of the afterlife and come back as a ghost, I'll do it. My wife knows the password. I will tell her that during a seance, or better yet, I will tell you to tell her the password. And if you tell her the password, she'll know that it was me talking to you. Um, but mm-hmm. it would, like, so the, that's the easy test, right? Like, hey, what's your safe combination? Yeah. And then like, you get that. You didn't know it. The safe opens. That's really strong evidence, right? Um, but of course, the stone has been missing under highly mysterious circumstances for centuries. So, um, or yeah, like every single thing that's been brought up is so like like has all of the usual bullshit you know built in uh alibis yeah it, it like oh the stone is missing yeah this one's even less yeah. compelling like even if you're being fair than the than the veil because it's like well i hear tell of an artifact that could do this and it's like well where is it oh nobody's seen it in 100 years or 500 years it's like well then what the hell are mm-hmm. we talking about you know, so your great 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 grandfather made up a story about this rock, and that's that's your evidence. Come on, bro. Um, this one is more like easily dismissible than the veil, no. um, even if you're. Yeah, I guess it's because the veil. Somebody can like walk up to it and, and point to it and be like, "This is the veil right here." 
Yeah, exactly. All right, Harry, tell you what, on Saturday, we'll go to, we'll go look at the veil and then, you know, you can, you can ask me whatever questions you want, but I won't let you touch it because it'll kill you. How's that sound? Um, like that's something that they could do, but since they, the, they're just talking about this rock that no one's seen forever, then it's like, well, the, you know, that's, I can see at least there where he's like, that's not interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that's as compelling as me it's telling you stone. that I saw a miracle, you know, and that proved something to me. It's like, well, you can't show me that. No, no, no. It's, it's gone. So well, then what the hell? Why am I supposed to believe that? So, uh, yeah, so Dumbledore asks him, like, well, if there's no afterlife, uh, then how could Voldemort have survived you killing him um, if he didn't have a soul? And Harry kind of, like, does the a, a, a good rationalist, like, double take, where instead of just, like, I think he was thinking he was going to start to just kind of come up with some, you know, after-the-fact explanation to back up his preconception, um, but then he's kind of like, well, wait, I don't know enough about that. Let me think about it. And then I think we kind of don't get that explicitly laid out, but his, like his mental, his, his head shifts on like his goal for the conversation. And he just says, well, okay, I don't know enough about what's going on. Um, and so he says to Dumbledore, he's like, okay, tell me, um, can you just go ahead and tell me everything you know about how the Dark Lord survived and what it might take to kill him? Um, <laughs> And yeah, so he's, it's he's like, trying, and he's trying yeah. to pull some judo on Dumbledore, yeah. who's one move ahead. And Dumbledore knows what he just did. Although I didn't get, like, that wouldn't necessarily be bad. Like, he wasn't asking something that, like, you know, Dumbledore should have been worrying about telling him. But I think because then Dumbledore sees, like, oh, you're not really, we're not really going back into the whole life-death question. Like, you've, you've, you've become goal-oriented on something irrelevant. Like, Dumbledore kind of shuts it down. Um, but then, I, yeah, and then he also thinks it's like, oh, then you're just trying to, like, you just want to try to figure out how to be immortal yourself. And Harry says, wrong. I want the secret of the Dark Lord's immortality in order to use it for everyone. Which is kind of like he's being, like, the super, like, death is bad explanation for for that. He's like, no, they logic, like, the best way to use this is to figure out how it works and then just to eliminate death for everybody. Yeah, which, like, from Harry's perspective, like, and any reasonable person's perspective, like, I think Harry's thinking, like, wait, are we one spell away and just one wizard from saying the right words, from, like, making no one no one have to die? Like, why haven't you guys done this yet, you fucking dickbags? Is this some other more Quidditch bullshit? Um, so I think I think that's where Harry's coming from. And then Harry says, and by everyone, I mean to include all muggles, too. And Dumbledore's like, no, this is insanity, and blah ha ha um, <laughs> I like that. Harry's just kind of, like, fucking with him. Them. And then what I thought was because and then Voldemort, I mean, not Voldemort, uh, and then Dumbledore jumps to like, oh, but you know, Voldemort stole the book that figured out how to do this, and he killed somebody in order to, to you know, get the what do you say? Uh, and it was Myrtle, poor sweet Myrtle, who died for it. His immortality took sacrifice, it took murder. And Harry's like, murder, I'm like, we're not gonna kill him, I'm not gonna like try to figure out how to, you know, like it defeats the purpose if we have to kill somebody in order to make somebody else immortal. And it's almost like Dumbledore kind of like does a, like was operating under the assumption. He's like, oh, well, I thought if you were going to go along for the whole like, you know, evil mad sorcerer immortality plot, then you then you were going like full evil and that was going to involve like human sacrifice and shit. And it was like, it was almost like a reset. He's like, oh, wait, no. Uh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I like that because Dumbledore, I think he had encountered, you know, this this level of anti-death only in dark wizards, apparently. Um, and so he's like, wait, everyone I've known who, who's been this vehemently anti-death is been, you know, somebody will do whatever it takes. You're telling me you won't do it. You won't kill people to do it. And he's like, no, that, that ruins the whole point. And he's like, uh, 
okay, yeah, um, I'm at a loss then. I don't know what to say. Uh. Yeah. I, this, and I think this, it's a dumb little phrase for me to key off of, but there was something because he says, uh, I'm at a loss, Harry, said the old wizard. His feet once more began trudging across his strange office. I know not what to say. He picked up a crystal ball that seemed to hold a hand in flames, looked into it with a sad expression, only that I am greatly misunderstood by you. I don't want everyone to die, Harry. There's something about like there's something about the phrase "I know not what to say." The fact that he sort of like, you know, pompously and unnecessarily like inverts the language there, uh, instead of "I don't know what to say," um, that made me think like, okay, this is like that's not a again not not conniving or anything, but that's an insincere response. Like he's there's there's something being hidden here in what he's saying, except that then, like, the part that seems true to me is what he says immediately after that, and that he says, only that I am greatly misunderstood by you. Like, and I, I don't have any good reason to believe any of this, but there's something about that that makes me think that the thing being misunderstood is the thing not being shown, and I have no idea what that means, really, or why I think it, but... Um, but that, I, there's something about this that made me think, like, this whole, like, bullshit cliche thing that he's been spouting even though it's like weirdly complicated sometimes that he doesn't really think all of it and i'm not quite sure what that means but no i think i hear you um like for me because i'm like my surface reading on it is i know not what to say is just him kind of like talking like an old wizard i know there's something like weird like it was almost like that's like a something about that keyed off of it that like he's not like he wouldn't really talk like that and that that it kind of made it seem made it stand out as Dumbledore is full of shit right now like he doesn't yeah. like he said that for effect that, that that is how you would talk if you were working from a script yeah that's interesting I don't have much to add to that other than like that that is an interesting this this might be a move in his 3D chess yeah um, or 4D no chess yeah um, who knows yeah I like the uh, like the, the rest of this kind of goes where um it, there's this ni- nice beat where Dumbledore says, I'm less afraid than I was, but I still greatly worry for you, Harry. And then his hand, wizened by time but still strong, placed the crystal ball firmly back into its stand. There's something about that combined with the context of the conversation that I think just, I don't know, jumped out at me. Um, yeah, now that we're reading it, I'm like, what's up with the crystal ball? It's, it seems like it's more than just like some random I'm convinced. scene. I'm convinced every fiddly thing in his office is super important. <laughs> I don't make him weird noises. It's like at some point when they're talking, like his, his beard goes into like a fishbowl full of green water that like starts turning his beard green. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, then Harry's like, okay, look, yeah, if you want to understand dark wizards, just get over your cognitive dissonance on death and stare into the part of you that's afraid to think about death. And then you'll really get it. Um, and he's like, yeah, no, and it talks Harry. about like the way people kind of like convince themselves that death is a good idea. Yeah, and then Harry, then he's just like, no, Harry, I though I can understand how you think that, and um, so he's oh, this is actually yeah, the part with the uh, the little um, what you call it, uh, the little water droplet thing that he put his beard in that was turning it green. Oh, yeah. Um, I knew it happened at some point, and then he's like, uh. No, I think uh, that you understand Dark Wizards. I think that you understand Dark Wizards very well without yet being one yourself. It was said in all perfect seriousness without accusation. But your comprehension of me, I fear, is sorely lacking. 
and yeah, then, this one again. There's something about that seems like uh, like like I want to believe that. Like oh, that feels like a true thing that was just said there, and the rest totally. of this is a suspect. Yeah, and like the fact that he's laughing and being gentle now, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, um, and and Harry I think finds that gentleness like condescending, which. Yeah. If you're in Harry's shoes, it totally would feel that way. You know, you're having a serious conversation with somebody and then they kind of smile and be like, nah, I don't think you quite get it. Like, in most circumstances, you're going to think, okay, this person's just talking down to me. Fuck them. Yeah. But like, in this sense, yeah, I get side, that. Yeah, the other side of that, though, is that it just doesn't seem plausible that the most powerful wizard in the world and the headmaster of Hogwarts is that naively full of shit. Exactly. And again, 100, year, 100 years Harry Sr., you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like I get where like most times when you pattern match somebody you know nodding nodding and smiling and saying you just don't get it like they're going to be talking down to you, but in this in this case I think that Dumbledore is genuinely doing that and genuinely like not talking down to him it's just how he's being, mm-hmm. and so. And Harry's not uh, having it. He gets all pissed off about it. Yeah. And he's he, like Draco. He's basically like Draco's smarter than you. <laughs> Well, at least that Draco processed my words without throwing them out the window and smiling with gentle superiority. You're so old and wise, you can't even notice anything I'm saying. <laughs> and then this is a good one. You're like, uh-huh. He says, I have listened to you, Harry. But to listen is not always to agree. Disagreements aside, what is it you think that I did not comprehend? <laughs> and I, I liked his his answer here that he doesn't give. I, I'm curious what Dumbledore's reply would have been. He, what he doesn't say is that if you really believed in an afterlife, you'd go down to St. Mungo's, Mungo's and kill Neville's parents so that they could go on to their next great adventure instead of letting them linger here in their damaged state. And I, I'm curious what he would have, what Dumbledore would have said to that. But instead what he says, he's like, all right, fine. I'll answer your original question. You asked why dark wizards are afraid of death. Pretend that if you believed in souls and that anyone could have, you know, if this was just an established fact, imagine like death if you're imagining it like a dark wizard, is the annihilation of a soul. And then Dumbledore looks at him and he's got this sad look and he says, ah, I think I do understand now. Oh, understand what? Voldemort, said the old wizard. I understand him now at last, because to believe that the world is truly like that, you must believe that there is no justice in it, that it is woven of darkness at its core. I asked you why he, I asked you why he became a monster, and you could give no reason. If I could ask him, I suppose his answer would be, why not? That's such a, a, I would, before we even talked about it, I remember as I was reading it thinking like, oh, that's a very Joker line. Yeah, totally. It's like that kind of like laughing nihilism. Yeah, if you could torture the answer out of the Joker, like, why are you doing this? He'd be like, why the fuck not, Batman? Yeah. That's, I think that's exactly what he would say. Like, yeah. Hollow all the way to the core. Like, there's just nothing there. Totally. What I thought was super interesting about this, though, and like, we're only like five paragraphs from that from the end now is and in Harry's mind it's almost that they're like completely disconnected but so Dumbledore says this and and at least for me the the phrase that I keyed off most was that you uh, to believe that the world is truly like that you must believe there is no justice in it and that kind of tied back to Harry's like internal monologue about how evil just happens and there's no good reason for it and doesn't mean anything other than don't be evil. Um, that this seemed to like tie back to that in a way that that is uh, again naive. Like, and I was kind of conflicted when I read it, but at least I think like part of that was like, oh, this sounds like the same kind of naive stuff he's been saying. Um, 
and then right immediately after that, he's like, you know, and then Dumbledore says, tell me, Harry, will you become a monster? And Harry's like, no. Um, and Harry's response to, to, you know, why does he know that there isn't? He says, there is no justice in the laws of nature, headmaster, no term for fairness in the equations of motion. The universe is neither evil nor good. It simply does not care. The stars don't care, or the sun, or the sky. But they don't have to. We care. There is light in the world, and it is us. Which is like an awesome, like, first, like, I totally highlighted that just to say, like, that's an awesome phrase and an awesome way to look at it. Um, but it also seemed like Harry's kind of rebuttal to the, um, to the naivete, I hate that word because it sounds so pompous, but um, to the naiveness of Dumbledore's position is basically to say the thing that Dumbledore was kind of saying, but just in a more kind of uh, person-centered version of it. Um, so like, yeah, there's no justice in the world, but we are there um, to bring it, is kind of like the same, like when Harry's saying like, there's no meaning to evil, there just, there is, it's like, well, yeah, but we, you know, people are the ones that brought the evil into the world and that's why why it happens. That's not a very Bible one, the way I just said it, but just more that like, evil shit happens because people do it uh, and good shit happens and fair shit happens because people decide to cause things to be fair. And like, that's the meaning underneath. And while Harry's been sort of like, you know, rolling his eyes when Dumbledore's been trying to talk about like the universe as this like plot-driven, um, you know, rule-based world that makes sense. Um, and we've been kind of rolling our eyes at it that like Harry is kind of saying back to him the thing that he thinks he's disagreeing with, which is that like it, it, it all makes sense and it has a point to it because we put it there. Uh, and those aren't separate things. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And it's uh i also really like that quote too um it's it's uh like you said it's it's human centered it's like no it's not you know nature doesn't give one fuck about us dumbledore but we care about us and each other and ourselves and that's what matters and like that's that's where their values come from and it's not clear that dumbledore really disagrees with that they just it seems like they've sort of been talking past each other a little bit yeah 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 and i I mean even as like even as we're reading i don't think like that's a an idea that was that we're being walked through a lot like as this chapter is rolling through like I think the the things Dumbledore has been saying sort of look kind of vacuous as he's saying them but they are kind of the same thing that Dumbledore believes in this like some sort of current of fairness in the universe and underlying you know meaningful reasons that that people do things or bad things happen and while we're like, oh, it doesn't work that way, and they're like, well, like, well, no, because there's people involved in every step of that, and so those are the reasons. Yeah, no, I, I love yeah. it. I think there's nothing, like, and, there's, and there's like, there's nothing mystical about it. Well, because there's people, like all of this stuff is people. Exactly, and then then Dumbledore says, "I wonder what will become of you, Harry. It's almost enough. To, it's almost enough to make me wish to live just to see it." <laughs> and then he gives an ironic bow and slant and leaves. So, um, it. It ends, it ends there with their interaction anyway. Um, I I really liked their, I don't know. I like that whole. It almost feels like a great place to wrap up, but we have one short chapter yeah. to finish. So. Well, yeah, the, the short yeah. chapter is this is almost sort of like the the aftermath to the previous chapter. It's almost not really its own chapter. Yeah, like the last yeah. one with the name pretending to be wise. It really fit because you know there's a lot of Harry yeah. deliberately pulling out you know quote deep wisdom unquote and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, so in chapter 40 pretending to be wise part two 
it's Harry drinking tea with Professor Quirrell at Mary's place, and you know they're on their one their, one of the little weekend dates, and. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the keeps doing it. I, I got nothing. I'm just being entrapped now. It can be a, a you know, a per- completely professional date. That's all I meant. Uh, <laughs> now it sounds like I'm protesting too much. Now I'm just indulging it. I'm running with a joke. What can I say? Um, well, obviously, without any of the other, you know, whatever. Who cares? So, so having really expensive tea in Mary's room, a, a, the point of which was completely lost on me, but Harry talks quite a bit about, like, he can't pronounce the name of the tea, and... Quirrell, and when the check came for it, it was a ridiculously expensive tea, and Quirrell is like trying to teach him just the right way to hold the cup. They don't mention pinkies, but that's what I imagined. Me too. I'm picturing from Spongebob where they're drinking like pinkies out, and it's this deliberate gesture. I There doesn't seem to be a point to the tea other than like maybe the manipulation of like, if it is just fakely expensive and you don't mm-hmm. actually pay that much for it, then it is just there to make the victim feel appreciative. Yeah. And so well, it's and kind it of funny. Well, it does put Harry like, again, on sort of like the back foot. It's, it's like a, a dominance game with Quirrell. Like, I am the one that knows the right way to, for this like stupid, you know, irrelevant ceremony of the right way to hold a cup. Like, I'm making you artificially and pointlessly the idiot and I'm going to teach you the right way to do this arbitrary thing. Totally. It's like if you walked into a house party and you swapped off the label that you bought for like your $15 tea with like tea that literally costs like $12,000. <laughs> and you're like, oh, here, let's let's just pop this. Like that would just be this like screaming signal to all your friends that like, yeah, I'm crazy rich and I have really expensive wine and I'm just, you know, handing it out to you guys. Um, how You know, there's such a power play yeah. that Harry is even like, aware that that might be a like a deliberate fake move like yeah. that, that's not a, if you had actually bought really expensive tea that would also be a power play but if you could just fake the the signal just as well then you might try that yeah. so or right, even uh, like not not even even beyond like the expensive tea thing it's the like the infantilizing position of here you don't even know how to drink tea right exactly let me, let me school you on the on the drinking of tea yeah there, there's a component of that to it too which again puts like the you know makes makes it's a move He's from, from Quirrell. It makes him yeah. daddy. Well, it, it makes him... It, it, move, it puts Quirrell deliberately in a position of like, I am your superior. Yeah. Let me, let me show you how it's done. And yeah, it, it's, it, it all seems like a power play. It's dope. Um, so basically Quirrell tells him like, yeah, you shouldn't have told the headmaster your whole thing. Try and think faster next time. And... Uh, yeah, and even that like, it takes Harry a second to leave. Like, he's like, wait, what, what? Like, he has to even catch up on that one. Yeah, and then he's like, oh, I see what you're saying, that if Dumbledore kills Draco and makes it look like I did it, then Lucius sacrifices this game against Dumbledore to get at me, which I think I, quote, called last episode, but it doesn't. I don't get points for calling things because no doubt I had that stored in some <laughs> of my brains. So, um, yeah, that he just made it in Dumbledore's interest to have uh, Draco killed. And, yeah, and I guess what I called is still, I guess, with this thought in the back of my head, but what, what I said was a little different, was that it made no sense for... Lucius to tell Harry that like yeah. you know don't I tell still him saw that scene, though, by the like, way here's my secret weakness yeah I saw at least for me like I saw Lucius telling him that as the like yeah it wasn't it wasn't didn't make sense for Lucius to do that and that was a moment of like weakness seems like kind of the wrong word but like his one like last tiny little bit of sincerity so he was showing showing a weakness by doing it but only because like that's the last little bit of humanity that's left yeah yeah. So like, yeah, it, like from just like a calculate, like it was a bad calculation, but it wasn't done as a calculation. It was done as like, that's like the last tiny bit of actual nice person that's left in Lucius. Totally. I like that a lot. Um, then uh, Harry kind of just like 
not even segues, he just veers. He's like, Professor Quirrell, is there an afterlife? And it explains that he used his phrasing very carefully. He didn't say, do you believe in one? He was just like, you know, hey, is there? And I liked Quirrell's dodgy answer. Mm -hmm. If there was, Mr. Potter, then quite a few wizards have have wasted a great deal of effort in their searches for immortality. (laughs) And Harry Harry observes, that's not actually an answer. It's funny, like, yeah, and he's still, like, in the in the headspace of, like, everything's a test for Quirrell, and he's trying to please him. Well, and he also wanted an answer out of him, and he yeah. didn't get it. So then yeah. Quirrell goes on to give something closer to an answer of saying, well, some of those wizards were reasonably intelligent, Mr. Potter, so you can take it that the existence, that the existence of an afterlife is not obvious. I have looked into the matter myself, and, uh, you know, of the claims that uh, are out there. They're the exactly the claims of the the sort that you that uh, hope and fear would be expected to produce. Um, yeah, as as the uh, well, I mean, I, I was just reading his whole reply, but basically he says, I I don't think that there is like, or I it is not clear to me that there's an afterlife. Basically, um, so what I thought was then, cool about this was like like this was also very kind of sincerely the wrong word, but very convincing. Like nothing very. Um, hard to believe about Quirrell's answer except then I had to like sort of step back from like the this is a book about the whole thing and the resurrection stone is central to it I'm like oh it has to be true like there's this this you if the resurrection stone doesn't do much it just wouldn't be here in the story so the fact that it's like central to the story means that it must be true so Quirrell must be full of shit right here like but but like all in on being full of shit <laughs> like, you know I can't I can't remember if the resurrection, and it doesn't actually matter because we're so far diverted from canon that now it's just more like trivia lookups. Uh, but I can't remember if in canon the resurrection stone was to produce an image of your loved ones or if it produced them actually. Like uh, I, think draws, just, I don't, know, I don't think we ever like got it, but I think it was it was supposed to be like the real thing. Yeah, it was. I think, yeah. and then it kind of annoys me. I remember they just fucking leave it in the woods. Um, yeah, you know, at the very least bring it back for humanity to have like no one's gonna i mean people will probably fight over it but it is also the kind of thing that you know you could have and let people use to to get closure or something yeah. right and then i, I think like the, at least the, the vibe of like the, the vault the, here the, the implication uh, anyway. in, the, in the original is that is that that we can't hear each other talking the implication of the original is that like it's not like yeah it would work but it like only works on like small scale like it would work for one person and then maybe some other one person and maybe you could do it for like important people or something but it wouldn't ever be the kind of thing that could like move society it would just be something that would serve like one individual person's kind of small scale desires oh yeah because each artifact like served its master that's why like the 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 elder wand was like such a formidable thing yeah Uh, yeah, I've heard, yeah, I don't know what it would mean then if you were to try to use the resurrection, resurrection stone and not be its master. Like, would it just not produce an image for you or would it produce a yeah. fake one? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know if it, was, it wasn't even so much about, like, master thing. It was just that, like, it wouldn't... Like, it could only be any one individual person's, like, single kind of small-scale need. Like, it, it, it's just, you know, a few people. It's not like you would, you know, bring all society's dead back to life. It would just be, like, whatever random people had control of it, like you know, dozens, hundreds of people would come back to life, but that would be it. I wonder, like, if the, uh, you know, that big cube in Mecca, like, if you could touch that and talk to your dead relatives, I imagine a lot of people would make a pilgrimage there just to go talk to them. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't mean that as a joke. Like, I mean, like, I could see your whole world not centering around it, you know, because, like, you have to be touching it, say, to talk to them or something. 
But I could imagine saying, you know what? All right, I'm going to go uh, have a last conversation with my great grandparents. Well, wasn't like, I thought like it like legit? It wasn't just that like oh, you can like talk to your dead relative for a moment. I thought like it really brought them back from the dead, didn't it? Like they were alive I, again. No, I remember in the when he's walking towards to fight Voldemort in the forest, he summons like Sirius and his parents and maybe someone else. I can't remember. And they like they shield him, but I think only from view of Death Eaters. Like I don't think that they can touch stuff. I think they did yeah. look ghosty. Um, I should look this up, but that's not the kind of thing I can easily wiki because I'm not going to read the whole article on the <laughs> Resurrection Stones. So we'll just leave that aside and say that in this, no one's seen the thing in centuries, and it's not important. Yeah. But Harry does ask him like, "Hey, have you seen like this rock and or a rock with this symbol on it? And it's got the Deathly Hallows symbol. Like because we forgot to mention that Dumbledore showed him that in his cloak." It's like I guess yeah. where the tag would be yeah, on a shirt that you like on a on a poncho that you order from the store. So, well, I saw it on somebody's bumper sticker. Night. Oh yeah, I've seen a tattoo. <laughs> Honestly, I love it. And if it wasn't such a nerdy it's thing, I could see myself getting that tattooed on me. It's, just, it's like um, a satisfying little symbol. It is. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, anyway, the uh, and it's you know minimalist. It's whatever it is. But um, you know, he asks Quirrell if you've seen this rock, and he's like, no. Like, why is that the Resurrection Stone? And he's like, yeah, apparently. Um, and he's like, and okay, I did well. get the impression like that was new information to Quirrell. Like he really didn't know that shit before. Oh yeah, me too. I I guess that didn't yeah. occur to me to read into it. Um, oh, there's the, this other beat here where, uh, like it says like the room kind of feels darker, and he says you observe. Oh yeah, it kind of gets all that, evil. Yeah, the Dumbledore does not truly believe as he speaks, because um, Harry brings up the contradiction of like. Yeah, Dumbledore thought that like I'd be bored with immortality, but then went on to talk about how he's immortal, and he didn't actually. I don't think he visualizes like those two things at the same time. Um, mm. And then, then the temperature of the room seemed to be dropping. You perceive, said a voice like ice on the other side of the table, that Dumbledore does not always truly believe as he speaks. That it is not. It is not that he has compromised his principles. It's that he never had them from the beginning. Are you becoming cynical yet, Mister Potter? He says, a little. <laughs> a little. Yeah. yeah, I like that whole, and then he like sort of sits back and like I could picture like the whole, like the lighting changed and, you know, and the camera angle suddenly. And, yeah, I, I can picture, I can picture and hear this scene. Yeah. yeah like this kind of like, whoop, kind of comes back from the, you know. Yeah, and, I think, and probably like, and how it's sort of like, the deathly chill seemed to draw back, fold into itself as the ordinary Professor Coral return. It was like a well done how the the effectiveness of like oh he gets all menacing and then like kind of instantly kind of snaps back and made the whole thing seem kind of more otherworldly yeah i'm picturing it kind of like that scene with galadriel and the one ring oh yeah or like, yeah, pretty, but like yeah. way less dramatic but like when it comes down from that it just comes mm. down from that you know yeah. yeah anyway it's it can't be that dramatic or harry would have lost his shit <laughs> um Oh yeah, there's this kind of joke where um, Harry says, "I'm getting frustrated with whatever's going on in people's heads," and he says, "Yes, I find it frustrating as well." <laughs> is there any way to get people not to do that? And there is indeed a certain useful cell, useful spell which solves the problem. <laughs> besides Avada Kedavra, no. <laughs> Professor Quirrell laughed, and Harry didn't. Um, so yeah, then I mean, basically that's it. Oh, that's where he tells us about the stone whatever the symbol and then uh he says hey if you do see that rock i've got some questions for merlin um which is like bringing up merlin Merlin and alanis again which i wasn't sure what to make with make with that yeah 
Honestly, me either. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, hey, I'm curious about like what all's going on here. Maybe these people would have some answers, but we still don't really get why Harry believes that. Other than like, there's some mysterious shit going on there, and I guess we can trust that maybe he read it in a book or something. But it'd be nice if we read some of that book too. Um, yeah, certainly, there's nothing going on with us to where like, oh man, yeah, that'd be awesome. Other than like, you know, it, that would be a kind of fun thing because we all know who Merlin is. You know, hear us and you know the real world because it's a, a very popular fictional character. If you learned that that person was real, and you're like, wait a minute, can I talk to that guy? Like that shit happened. I guess I could see that excitement. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. And then I really liked the end here, uh, where he says one last question. Harry said as Professor Quirrell, uh, well, whatever, he's getting up to leave. Um, magic is loose in the world, and I no, I no longer trust my guesses so much as I once did. So in your own best guess, and without any wishful thinking, do you believe there's an afterlife? And then, I, you know, what's, what's Quirrell's response to that one? If I did, Mr. Potter, would I still be here? <laughs> I like that. I, right before, the, the, and this was the, I talked about in the beginning, this seemed like a little too obvious hint of something being up was as they were getting up, um, Quirrell says, by the way, Mr. Potter, I fear we shall have to cut short today's visit to Diagon Alley. I was hoping it would, but never mind. Let it stand that there's something else I must do this afternoon. So that's very obviously a, oh, there's something else going on of significance, but that stuck, stuck out to me as a little too obviously a thing of significance. God, I know, right? I'm sure, yeah. like, and this isn't me just, like, trolling you, but... Um, <laughs> it it would have been uh i i honestly don't know what he's gonna go do and mm. it would be i i whatever it is i'm sure it's interesting because it's fucking professor quirrell you know so much other stuff has been way more subtle than this yeah but like i don't know what this is yeah. unsubtly or subtly pointing towards other than like yeah. he's just like oh yeah i got an errand to go run but who knows well, that is it yep that's it for this week uh According, Next week. according to my calculations, which is called iBooks, we are we have hit six hundred and thirty-seven pages. Nice, crazy. And according to my eight. spreadsheet of all the chapters, let's see, um, what chapter was that? Forty. Yeah, yeah your iBook thing is close to the same counter on this spreadsheet. And what percentage of the way are we through the book? I don't know if this shows that actually. Oh wait, sure it does. I think that we are 34% of the way through the book. Uh-huh. So that's exciting. And to get us a few more percent, next week we are going to cover um, 41, 42, and 43. And the first two are fairly short. The third one's fairly long. It'll probably take up the bulk of the talk. But the first two are fun, and I'm looking forward to it. These are going to be some... Uh, I think this will be a very riveting and fun conversation for just the... We're getting some more plot advancement, some more exciting stuff, and uh, I guess I can't say any more without ruining the story for you, so. <laughs> cool. Cool. All right. All right, man. Well, this is great. Everyone, thanks for listening. Yeah. Be sure to swing by doofmedia.com if you're interested in uh, other content that discusses things like movies, TV, and uh, really anything else related to um, media, I guess. There's some video game discussions. One of the once I just heard it last week, um, it was only a few months old, an episode of Doof Media on the video game Soma, which if you haven't played, play it, then listen to that episode. Um, it's a, I guess it's a horror game, but it's much more of like a dope ass science fiction story. So check that out or anything else over there. And, uh, 
I guess if you like what we do and want to support not just us, but the it goes to all of Doof Media and every podcast they produce, you can swing over to doofmedia.com slash Patreon. Or wait, Patreon slash Doof Media. You know what? You, you can find you it can probably Google both it. ways. You're smart yeah. people. Exactly. We trust you. So <laughs> with that, I'm going to call it. And don't forget to come back next week for chapters 41, 42, and 43. See you later.